0: VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on
1: this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly.
0: Well, good morning. No Patty this morning, no Linda. I'm Tim Powers, and I'm actually here. I don't know, and you're probably not excited about that, but I am here in St. John's here on Camount Road getting to see my uh, my colleagues and friends. I was here earlier in the week to do the Ottawa Report, been here all week, and it's a lovely sunny day. I'm not describing uh, the sun to me, but boy, I'll take it as I look through the studio windows to the control room, I see the sun. So hopefully on this last day day before uh, before Good Friday and the Easter weekend, we have a good show filled with lots of positive energy, though there's also tough things to talk about. We'll get to all of that. But one of the things I've always enjoyed on this program and a lot of the VOCM programs is when somebody calls to throw a bouquet. So I'm going to start the day with a bouquet. And that bouquet goes to a whole bunch of healthcare workers at the St. Clair's Mercy Hospital. So the reason I have been here all week is my mother was getting some surgery. She was getting uh, a hip replaced, I'm sure. As she's listening, she won't mind me saying that. The surgery went well. She was very lucky to get in when she did. And I have to tell you, the journey that she had uh, over the last three or four days was just magnificent um, in terms of all of the people she dealt with from being admitted to the hospital on Tuesday afternoon through the actual surgery and going into recovery and uh, she's still convalescing on 6 West at St. Clair's the nursing team, the physicians up there just wonderful. What made them wonderful? Well, they were human. They engaged. They answered questions. They were patient. They were funny. They were thoughtful and they were caring. There was a little bump in the uh, post-surgery on uh, on Tuesday evening. They kept us up to date. It was nothing serious, but, uh, you know, causes you a little bit of anxiety. The phone calls that came through. uh, Just thank you to to all of them. Thank you to her physician, Dr. Rod Martin, and all the people that helped her. Uh, And I'm led to believe this is an experience many people have. So while there are all kinds of troubles in the healthcare system, and we will dive into them, let me see from our family, to all the healthcare workers that dealt with my mom, the nurses and the doctors, thank you very much. You were a pride and a proud reflection of your profession and I'm sure many other Newfoundlanders and Labradorians can relate to uh, the good work that you have done and want to make sure as you go forward that you still have the ability to perform in that way, care for people, and take joy and satisfaction from what you do. Uh, But we're very grateful I'm very thankful. So sticking on healthcare for a moment, I don't know. I've been listening to the news this morning, and this debate, quasi debate, it, it hasn't really started yet because it only launched yesterday. So maybe it starts here on Open Line this morning about the new website the government has launched, healthcareaction.ca, where they are going to provide updates on the various transformations, as they would describe them, that uh, are happening in the healthcare system in uh, in the province. It's a new initiative. It is supposed to be, I think as the Premier and the Health Minister described it, a living document so you can monitor what's happening. As has already been pointed out by our news team, there's some things that aren't there, like the number of physicians that have uh, apparently or actually left the province. And that's useful i think because we've already got questions that are coming about that so maybe the document the the website I- itself is 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 showing some teeth in terms of a value Uh, The government says it's not marketing, uh, that it's education. You know, I don't care about that debate. Of course it's marketing. Every government, regardless of their political background, wants to sell itself, wants to sell its stories, wants to say that it's doing the work that it's supposed to do. That just comes with politics. What I think we ought to care about is whether this is helpful to us as citizens of Newfoundland and Labrador, whether it's helpful to my colleagues. Colleagues here at VOCM and other media outlets, as they try and ask the tough questions about why is this going in this direction or why isn't something happening here? The challenge for the government, as it's, is a challenge for anybody who starts these websites, is to keep it active, to keep it well, to keep it, as you would a patient, alive with current information. Now that you've created this tool, the challenge will be managing the tool. And whether uh, it is turning out to be beneficial or helpful for you or not, it's helpful for the opposition, quite frankly, because again, if it's going to be a well-run educational tool, marketing tool, you pick the name that suits you, it will uh, will provide... Uh, direction as to where you might ask questions and and in, in inquiry. So, you know, whatever. I mean, I don't I'm not going to as my beloved mother sitting in 6 West would say, I'm not going to get my knickers in a twist too much about this this morning. But if you want to, let's go. Happy to happy to chat about that. I think it's just also a normal p- part of business these days that you would expect that as a citizen of whatever province you have the ability to get information that should be public about uh the, uh the the key elements of of your healthcare system and other things that are important to to uh to you. So healthcareaction.ca, there's my last free promo today. But hey government, you want to buy ads here? We'll take the money. Uh, if you want to talk about that, what it means. I, I did hear one person suggest, and they're probably not wrong in suggesting this, that you know, some of the political wisdom floating around uh, Confederation building these days is that the old COVID briefings provided useful opportunities to correct more connect, excuse me, more daily with the public. And there was some political benefit in that. Um, I don't know if that's accurate or not. Certainly people demanded it at the time. We all do remember there was a sort of saturation point because these briefings were happening all across the country when people pulled back from that. But in the early days of COVID, people were demanding briefings. So we'll see where all of this goes. You got to want to talk about that. Give me a ring got to pick up on something else on our news. And I wonder what you think about it. I've been listening to the clip being played uh, by Allison that ta- that um, speaks to Minister Freeland's visit here in Newfoundland. Of course, Kershia Freeland, she's the finance minister. She was here for uh, for a couple of days on the post-budget tour. Yesterday was in Long Harbor, uh, did an announcement with Valet about the, their nickel uh, production and the availability of some of the tax credits announced in the budget which may help them and that was great and all celebratory and you know credit to uh, to any government for promoting our critical minerals because they are vital to us uh, and perhaps a, pr- present the opportunity for a bright future here in the province but I gotta laugh at Minister Freeland's answer and not laughing at her she's a capable minister she's very smart but she's not so good at political communication so so oh, she was responding to again the very sensitive Newfoundland public and criticism that rightly came out of the budget, saying uh, that there was an omission. And what was that omission? And we've heard about this in the House of Assembly. And that omission, of course, is when the Atlantic Loop was mentioned. Newfoundland and Labrador wasn't in that paragraph that mentioned the Atlantic Loop in the budget. Now. Uh, Freeland's answer to that is, don't worry, uh, it's you're in, and uh, it's it's going to move forward. But her line specifically in talking about why that happened in the budget, it's just staging, she said, just staging. Minister Freeland, I say to you, what is the budget if it isn't the biggest staging document of a government? So... <laughs> I'm not sure you're helping your case when you're saying it's just staging because you missed the stage, the curtains, and everything else as a consequence of leaving it out. And I've had most of your tour been responding to whether or not Newfoundland and Labrador is in the Atlantic Loop. It's been part of the debate at Confederation Building this week. I'm sure the province isn't thrilled that the staging didn't involve Newfoundland and Labrador. Anyway, you want to talk about that and the budget. Mr. Singh talked to Patty earlier in the week. I think Minister Freeland was also on this station as well, not just uh, in terms of our news, talking about all these things. You know, you're still caring about the budget. Nine, what are we, nine days later, what's standing out for you? Uh, Mr. Singh? certainly doing victory laps on, uh, on the dental agreement that was done, whether he'll get victory points at the end of the electoral cycle, we'll see. But hey, everybody's trying to stay claim to the things that they think get them votes. Another subject I want to touch on a little bit this morning, and I was just talking to Jerry Lynn about it. Uh, you may have heard the interview that Jerry Lynn did with the head of the uh, Newfoundland and Labrador English School District in response to um, the Churchill family's uh, work good work if I can have an opinion I can it's open line Uh, good work in making sure that their son had proper opportunity to be educated and not discriminated against. Of course, they want a decision. The Churchills did from, uh, from the Human Rights Commission saying that he had, in fact, been discriminated against and changes had to come. If you heard the, uh, the interview earlier, you will have picked up that the, the school district hasn't yet addressed something that's very key, I think, to the Churchills, and that is for, for, for future students and, and for their son now, too, is mandating Uh, a commitment to ASL, American Sign Language. That, I I don't know how long they can say or stay away from taking a position there. Um, Certainly, it's something we want to dive into today. We may hear from the Churchills. We welcome their call. They certainly have every opportunity to respond to what they heard this morning. We'll make sure we we get them on. Uh, Our education system, always a challenge, always a concern. You have to admire, as I've learned about the Churchill case, the the persistence and the determination that they brought forward to make sure that their son uh, Got the opportunities that he rightly deserves, and that didn't come without toil. If you've have read the stories, you've seen this has been pretty tough on the Churchill family. And some people may say, "Oh, well, they got $150,000." Well, I I can imagine. Uh, well, that sounds like a big sum of money. That for years and years of fighting, uh, it's but nickels and matters less than what they are hoping to do, which is properly change the system to accommodate and educate people who need different learning tools and need to have teachers that have different learning tool uh, skill set. So want to talk about that. We can do that as well. Hey, did you know I didn't this morning? Now, I'm not a huge golf fan, but I mean, I think if you're a sports fan and you're living and, and breathing today, you know that the Masters is this weekend kicking off today. Do you know it was 20 years ago, 20 years ago that Mike Weir won the Masters for the first time? I was watching that this morning uh, on Sportsnet before I came in here, and I had had no idea it had been 20 years and the first Canadian to do it, and he almost lost it on the Saturday, he had a bad Saturday, he pulled it together on the Sunday, and won it in a playoff. I wonder will they have the drama in Augusta, Georgia, this weekend around all of that. And if you're not into the golf, how about the curling? I'm hoping to go. I'm scheduled to go back to, uh, to Ottawa tonight. My sister and I are going to do a little changeover and caring for my my mom, go back and see my boy. And my son and I, tomorrow night, are hoping to get to the Canada-Sweden game. Gushu won both his games yesterday. He's playing Germany and Scotland today, I believe, but the big match uh, for him and probably for Sweden who I think are still undefeated will be tomorrow night Uh, Gushu of course didn't start so well but uh, has has picked it up I know at at home uh, in my other home in Ottawa it's been a big deal this curling as it should be it's the world championships and there have been pretty good crowds so hoping to go cheer on Brad Mark Nichols and the rest of the team uh, tomorrow when we're back in Ottawa watching them play Sweden. So you want to talk about that, we can. I guess the last thing I'd say before we head to break, because, boy, you'd be surprised, I suppose, if I didn't say it. And unless you were without access to any form of media, you will know that this week... Donald Trump was arraigned. I mean, you had to look at all the banner headlines on the American networks. Arrested and arraigned, Donald Trump. Uh, We can go on for hours um, analyzing the psyche or lack thereof of Donald Trump and analyzing what all of this means. I am just, you know, for me, I get, get to a place as a father whether, you know, you like Trump's politics, you don't like his politics, and most of our listeners, I suspect, aren't fans of his politics. It's just for me, as a dad, looking at political leaders and thinking about the future, again, free of, free of whatever they politically stand for, how do you behave that way? Like, how do you behave that way? And how is it so glorified? How, how is it so many people are taken in by this man. I know there's anger. I know there's division. But what about decency? What about honor? Enough with obfuscation and belligerence and victimization and all of these things that Trump feeds off of. I mean, it is shocking. I am terrified in some ways that my son's going to grow up in a world where so much of politics is built around the Trump model. Look at how cowardly, cowardly, the bulk of the American Republican Party is, and some some here in Canada who glorify Trump, just buying everything the man sells and buying into this narrative. Donald Trump is about Donald Trump. He's not about America. He's not about a better world. He's about his ego. It's on display more than it ever has been. And it terrifies me that people see this as a model to emulate in politics. All right deep breath time. Time for questions and answers. Maybe I'll give you some of those. Time to talk. Time for our first break here on VOCM Open Line. Back with you shortly. Welcome back to Open Line. Tim Powers in for Patty today. Again, you can get me on Twitter at PowersTim or through uh, email at VOCM.com. And of course, the best way, call us. Call Dave. Dave likes being being busy now dave just taught me something and i'll see you know if i can learn it how to use the new technology here and i'm going to try and do it to get my friend dr alex marland who's in his final days not of life but at memorial university on the line let me try now oh it worked! alex are you there Good morning. Good morning. Sounding very official this morning, like the new Jarolowski chair that you are at Acadia University, which is a departure for us. How are you feeling as your time wraps up at Memorial heading off to Acadia?
2: It's it's actually really strange. I mean, I love Memorial University so much. I first came to Newfoundland, Labrador in 1996, and uh, to be a graduate student, I've been a faculty member since 2006. And... Honestly, Memorial University has been getting some rough press, yep. and deservedly so, um, but it's a great place to work with great people and great students.
0: Yeah, it's, it's just so people know the backstory with you and I. So it turns out I hadn't met Alex until he was a professor here, and we had lots of opportunity to talk over the years in that capacity, but it, the small world stuff... Alex worked with my business partner, also a former uh, Memorial University student, Jim Armour, who recently, two, three years ago, got his master's from Memorial University. And uh, Jim and I, have, Jim's father used to be a Presbyterian minister here uh, in in St. John's, or you're not a church minister, sorry, I'll get myself in trouble, here in St. John's for years. And Alex and Jim worked together in in Ottawa. So the Marlin Circle is tight in in my world. I mean, Alex, what... In the political science faculty, in the politics of this province that you've involved in, what if what if what evolutions have you seen over, or, or challenges, problems and opportunity over the last uh, nearly what, 16, 17 years you've been here?
2: It's actually really fascinating and there's a lot of things we take for granted now that were not this way not that long ago. So. The first thing that comes to mind for me is how uh, students and faculty members and researchers used to have to go to the library all the time to physically Mm -hmm. get things. And now a lot of the time you can do it from your computer. You don't even have to be on campus. You can be anywhere in the world. Um, When you go into the library at Munn, you used to go in and there was a huge circulation desk on the left side. I
0: remember that place, oh yeah.
2: Exactly, now that's a coffee shop area. So (laughs) it just tells you how things have evolved. Um, you know, when I give assignments to students, I purposely get them to look up 1980s and 1990s politicians, because there's not a lot of information on the web about those mm-hmm. people. And some of the students really struggle, they, they just, it's, they've lived in a world of everything being available online, and then they suddenly r- realize by going to Memorial that actually there's a lot more ways to research than just using Google. <laughs> and here, here's another thing, this one I actually find fascinating. Yeah. You used to go under the tunnel system at Memorial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've run in those tunnels talk- training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So everybody was talking to each other. Now when you yeah. go into the tunnels, everybody's listening on their phone, talking on their <laughs> phone, or looking at their phone. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's that uh, it, that 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 is so true everywhere you go. But it's it's hard to imagine in Mun, as you say, those social those tunnels were uh, were beehives of activity, and people used to leave notes and lockers when they were meeting their friends before texting you. And I are going to sound old now by by saying all of that. I, and you talk about the 80s and 90s. I I remember uh, some of your your colleagues now retired. Uh, Peter Boswell and, and Stephen Tomlin, two very good good educators, as you know. They used to have some of the great politicians of those eras in there. I think Stephen or no was it Peter had Clyde Wells in when he was premier one day. I think the former opposition leader, Len Sims, had, had taken classes and appeared. I mean, Memorial and, and that in your faculty, I know you still do it today, but they brought in the leaders and there was real engagement with the students. Does that still happen to the degree it once did?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, funny enough, I, Clyde Wells came in uh, recently because I was leaving. I, I introduced him to some of the uh, newer faculty to make sure that that connection still exists. But, you know, a shout out to Danny, Mayor Danny Breen. Yep. Uh, tonight, he is uh, taking his time this evening to meet with a whole bunch of students, and we are going to do a Q&A at St. John's City Hall. Um, so, yes, it definitely happens. All it takes is professors to reach out to politicians who are you know, often more than willing to be able to talk with students.
3: So what would you
0: say now you're leaving Memorial, you're going to Acadia, a, a equally a fantastic institution. You're going to, to this new position, which you can tell us about in a moment. And, uh, by all reports, it, 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 it creates even more opportunity for you to do the great work you've been doing in, in political communication and analyzing that to the, the, the degree and the importance that you have. But, as you leave MUN, what's your sales pitch for people who may want to come to MUN?
2: I I mean, I think the first thing for me, this is, I don't know if it's so much of a sales pitch as just a reality, that we, are, we have an incredible amount of smart people at MUN, and also people who are really nice and kind. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that that always comes through in marketing. How do you say that, you know, people are, are nice and kind? And I'm talking about professors, students, and, and others. Um, you know, for me, there's, there's a lot of things, for, like when I first came to Memorial, the thing that actually sold me was the St. John's Harbour, so you could actually walk <laughs> So you didn't
0: in. know about the, sew- the, the sewage issues then, Alex? When oh,
2: you- I learned about the bubble pretty fast. <laughs> um, but it's, it's the actual physical place, so it's not just Memorial, the institution, it's St. John's, it's Newfoundland and Labrador, it's the culture, it's a different, wonderful place. And, you know, for me, if I was involved with marketing Memorial University, I would show a lot more of sort of the the tourism elements involving St. John's and and other parts of of the province, depending on which campuses we're talking about. Um, But ultimately, there's no question that the people here are, Are wonderful, And and we've seen actually differences uh, in terms of the the student cohorts at Memorial. There was a wave of people coming over from Nova Scotia because the tuition here was so much lower. That's right. But now what we're seeing is a lot of students coming from around the world. And so you're in a classroom and it's gone from being mostly people from across Newfoundland. And then there was a lot of people from Nova Scotia. And now when you're in a classroom, there's people from different parts of the world. So it's definitely evolved in the time that I've been there.
0: Uh, tell us a little bit of, before I let you go. A little bit uh, about the n- the new role at at Acadia and what you're hoping to do in that role.
2: Yeah, so I'm I'm starting a new job. It's it's called the Jaroszowski Chair in uh, Trust and Political Leadership. Uh, it's one of five such chairs being created across the country. We're going to be a network of people who have to find ways. To come up with programming to train politicians and the next generation of political leaders. Hmm. And so I'm going to be the person for Atlantic Canada who's going to be coming up with ways to do this. And, you know, our initial thinking is, well, you know, we need to create courses and leadership um, that, you know, university students can, can work on. But, you know, my attitude is actually what we need to think about is how can we reach truckers? Mm-hmm. Now use truckers yeah. as an yeah. example of saying, how do we reach people who probably are less likely to go to university, probably less likely to be able to pay for it and who are really busy? And so how can we get into community halls? How can we do things online? How can we offer things that are free so that we can train people across society and very much make it democratic? This is going to be a big challenge. And for me, it's, it's going to involve working with MUN and others across the Atlantic region. Well, you know i got
0: to ask you this question. So you may have heard the end of my little rant there. And, and I'm so, I'm just so worked up as a dad. Not somebody who's worked in the p- political system, understands political marketing, as, as you do, and understands why people posture the way they do. But they do. As, as you look at, and I know U.S. politics is not your area of expertise, but you do consume news and you do pay attention. I mean, how challenging is it going to be for you to teach leadership in an environment when the most dominant leader in terms of exposure is giving us the worst example, in my view, of leadership, and that's Donald Trump.
2: You know, it's really challenging. Um, I have been to many events, including one just recently, where we're there to talk about Canadian politics, and then people ask a question about, uh, you know, a former U.S. president. Um, It is a definite challenge. I have found it very disconcerting here in Newfoundland and Labrador that, you know, you go into people's homes, you go into public areas, and often what's in the background is open line or just VOCM Mm -hmm. or maybe, you know, local television news, etc. There was this period especially you know 2016 onwards where all of a sudden now it was cnn. Yeah. And people are calling each other and they're talking about did you see this what happened down there and meanwhile they're giving our prime minister, premier and mayors a free pass because we're not paying as much mm-hmm. attention to local politics where we can actually vote, get involved and have a say. So I think that for me the mm-hmm. broader issue that we need to deal with as Canadians is to figure out how do we grapple with the allure of American politics in a a world where media travels in a very different way than it used to and make sure that we're paying a lot of attention to our own local officials and keeping them to account.
0: Well said. Uh, it, it is true. Uh, there are th- th- there's an ab- there can be an absence of accountability. And for people who uh, um, who want to read further about, it, I mean, Alex has done some fantastic work. But it, the work he did, uh, and I think still continues to do in part, or had been doing in part, analyzing the the power of talk radio in Atlantic Canada and Newfoundland and Labrador. And Alex, that's even more relevant now, coming off of the, some of the reports from the mass casualty commission in Nova Scotia, where the RCMP condemned in many parts, but one of the strongest parts of communication was on how they didn't communicate properly with people in Atlantic Canada, in Nova Scotia, and relied on Twitter instead of radio. You must look at that, the tragedy aside, and say, wow, there are some things in this region that stay the same, and the importance of radio is one of them.
2: Uh, Yeah, so I don't want to sound like I'm pandering. I'm telling the honest, absolute truth. Talk radio, open line, these are really important ways to be able to connect with people. When there is a, a power outage, what do people do? They turn on the radio, which probably has batteries if their phone isn't working, etc., right? I mean, I remember when I first started working, I, for a period of time, I worked in the government of Newfoundland, Labrador. I've done all sorts of research about political communication. I've prepared all these communication plans. And everybody in the government always just look at me and say, why are you bothering with that? Just get the minister to call open line. I mean. <laughs> I I also, I came in, I remember sitting there at VLCM Studios watching Randy Sims. He had me in, and I was taking notes about how everything works. I mean, I've studied open line in Newfoundland and Labrador. It is a real phenomenon compared to the rest of the country. The, The rest of the country does not have this type of forum in the same way that it exists here.
0: Well, uh, I wasn't setting you up for that, but I appreciate that. I've always appreciated dealing with you, and I uh, know we will continue to do that. Thank you for all you've done for the province and for the students of the province, and I know you will do a lot for leadership in your new role. Uh, Thanks for joining us this morning, Alex. Thanks for having me on the program, Tim. All right, take care. That was uh, Dr. Alex Marlin, the uh, former head of, well, he's still the head of political science at uh, Memorial University, heading to Acadia. All right, Allison, you hang on. Uh, sorry I went a little long there. You're next when we come back here on VOCM's Open Line.
3: Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking.
0: Well, welcome back to Open Line. Here is adventure number two, Dave, in technology. Allison, let me see if I get this right. Oh, yeah, I hit the wire. I know how to do it. I'm so impressed with myself. Uh, that's about the extent of it this morning. Allison Brennan, sorry, you're part of my experiment in new technology here. You're calling, I think, or you want to talk about Happy Valley Goose Bay French Immersion? There, one of my favorite places in the province. How are you this morning, Allison? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I am good. So tell us what you want. What's on your mind related to the French immersion there or lack thereof?
4: So there is currently an early French immersion program at Peacock Primary School here in Happy Valley Goose Bay. That is our only primary school here in okay. uh, here in town. Um, we, my ch- I have two children already in the in the French immersion program, and one who will be going in September 2024. Okay. Um, now in September 2023, the parents who have their children enrolled in early French immersion um, to start this September received a letter back in January from um, the Newfoundland and Labrador English School District, the NLESD, saying that the program with that risk of being cut because of low enrollment. Really? Yes. So we are very concerned about this, um, especially given that this coming year, um, there is an overall lower enrollment for kindergarten compared to other previous years. Uh, It's my understanding, typically it's 100, 120. This upcoming year, it's 70. And according to the letter sent from the NLESD, they're wanting 27 of these children to be enrolled in French immersion for the program to go ahead.
0: So it's not a, uh, it's a student issue. It's not a teacher issue. And And where did they come up with these numbers? How how did that happen?
4: That's a good question. And I honestly, our group of parents, we're we're not clear um, on why this 27 number is the number. Um it's also, I think, it seems to be, I know we're not the only school right. who got this letter in the province. Um, so it seems like they're taking this number of 27 and wanting it to apply across the province, which we know right. that policies, provincial policies developed can't apply everywhere. Um, we are very different from urban right. areas of the province. And so having this policy apply to our school here in Goose Bay is, um, we feel is very unfair um, and expecting almost half of the kindergarten class to enroll in French immersion this coming September is, seems very unrealistic.
0: So what are, have, have you had any response to uh, re- inquiries about how you might change this?
4: So basically, the, the main feedback we're getting is just to keep advocating, and hopefully the numbers will increase.
0: <laughs> just um, lobby hard. That's the strategy, is it? Or the advice you've been given, Alison?
4: Um, pretty much. I mean, we have we have had responses back from the NLSD, and there has been a meeting with the NLSD. I will acknowledge that. Okay. Um, And we have been advocating with uh, provincial ministers, with whoever we can, really. Um, But we we still aren't really clear on if it truly is an enrollment uh, problem. Is it staffing? We don't know. Um, I mean, I, I don't know the exact number enrolling. I've heard it's around 70. So if you have... Are they trying to squeeze these 70 kids into three English classes um, so that they can eliminate the fourth teaching unit being the French immersion unit? Um, in that case, you're going to have very large kindergarten classes. So what's the difference of having three English and one French versus four English? Like, we, we don't really know the staffing yeah. allotment, um, but I'm wondering if, if that's what they're trying to do is cut a unit, honestly. Um And it's, of course, going to affect the teaching positions of all the French immersion yes. teachers going through the years and future years. Are they trying to save these teachers and assign them to other, um, to other teaching positions because we know they're short provincially for teachers? Um, I don't know, but that is, that is one of my concerns. Um, I, I mean, we know the benefits of French immersion um, and the NLSD will acknowledge that. Yeah. So, I, our- I,
0: I have a son, Alison, in, in French immersion in, uh, in Ottawa. Both uh, his mother and I are are, are, are Anglophones, uh, but we see the benefit of being French immersion, particularly in the nation 's capital. I mean learning more languages is, a, is a, my my view and it sounds like your view a, a default benefit to the person who 's doing it and certainly, if you want to work in canada 's federal government, which is one of the largest employees employers, excuse me in the country, uh, learning a second language gives you that opportunity, but it gives you the opportunity to work all over the world so exactly I, 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 what would you You've you've got about 30 seconds here. If you could make an appeal to those who are listening this morning, go ahead and make it.
4: Okay. So we, we really encourage, we, we are still encouraging parents in Goose Bay to sign their kids up for early French immersion. You just stated some of the benefits. Um, early French immersion, if they start young, they will learn French more naturally naturally Absolutely. and effortlessly. Um, we also see this as um, a retention issue for, we have a lot of transient uh, professionals in our community. So we have our CMP, we have military, yep. we have healthcare professionals. If this option isn't um, there for these families once they come to town, I see that being a huge recruitment and retention issue as well.
0: Okay. Well, good luck, and make sure you keep us updated here. I, I can't, uh, you know, it, it, there there's more than enough data, as you and I have both alluded to, that says learning more languages is beneficial, and if we can give our kids more tools, particularly in this world, we got to stay on top of that. Thank you for the call today, Allison.
4: Thank you for listening.
0: Okay, take care. You too. I got to tell you, uh, Marie D.C. was uh, my French teacher for a while, and uh, she tried as best she could at St. Bonds to have me learn the language. But my favorite moment, and I'll get to you in a second, Keith, and learning French was I went to a French immersion program in adulthood, and I was practicing French on a, on a microphone like this where they'd play the French and you had to say it back. And the French instructor who knew I had an interest in politics, he said to me, You know, you speak French like Jean Chrétien speaks English. (laughs) You can guess how the rest of my French training went. And I love Mr. Chrétien, but I got his point. All right. Keith, English, French, whatever you want this morning. Well, I guess English, it's VOCM. Keith, you want to talk about COVID Awareness Week uh, and demarking in hospitals? Go ahead, my friend.
5: Yes, yeah, so uh, we started a, an uh, online campaign. It's a global one about uh, COVID awareness. So with, who's uh, we?
0: Our, just so the audience knows, please.
5: Uh, myself and a group of doctors and okay. another teacher. Okay. Um, so what we wanted to do is just remind people that COVID is still, you know, highly, uh, mm-hmm. highly present in our communities, and uh, you know, just remind them that it is a, you know, it's a damaging virus. It's not something that you want to catch, uh, you know, repeatedly. So. Um, so what we're, what we're doing is just sharing as much information as we can all over the social media world and getting people to share the information that we've gathered and, you know, stats can and all the scientific stuff and just share it with people who really don't know how dangerous COVID still is and how you know, uh, present it is in our communities. So,
0: yeah, Keith. Um, just again, not interrogating you. You're 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 a medical doctor. Do you have a specialty or an epidemiologist, general practitioner? No, you...
5: I'm I'm not a doctor. I'm a
0: teacher. You're a teacher. Um, okay. I'm
5: a teacher. Yeah, and a COVID advocate. Um, the the doctors I work with are, um, they're the you know they're the the science people who give me the info and I convey it. So, um,
0: yeah. Oh. So. How much pushback have you gotten on this? Because I find it fascinating right now, and I commend you for what you're doing, but there, there's a lot more caution, as I'm sure you're seeing, particularly from governments, about pushing awareness the way that we once did, because there's all sorts of political um, uh, challenges associated with that. So how much more challenging is it now than say it was two years ago to push COVID awareness?
5: Well, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's jumping hurdles every day, but I mean, it's, you know, the, the government's uh, involvement in the education process has been a complete failure. So if you were, if you were setting out to teach mm-hmm. somebody about something, this is not the way you do it. So, um, you know, like right now, it's estimated 1 in 24 people in Canada has COVID right now as we speak. Wow. Right. So yeah. so this is not a, a virus that's gone. And if at any point in the existence of influenza, the cold, mm-hmm. whatever, you never have one in twenty four people infected with the flu. Right. So a couple of years ago we were all masking. So for yep. two years we masked we, we kept COVID under five percent of our population infected. Now ninety percent is infected. So last year they claimed COVID is mild, take away masks, we don't need rules. 90% of our population has been affected, a so, minimum of So just, of just so
0: I understand, how do you get that 90%? Because you said one in 24 that's, that's, have that's, it. That's, yeah. How does that give you 90%? Yeah. That's 9%. One in 24 is not 90%. I'm trying to get the 90% number. How do you get the 90% number? No,
5: how? no, that's over the last year, 90% of people have been infected. Oh,
0: okay. All right, cumulatively. So
5: right, right now, right now, currently... It's 1 in in 24. 24. And in Newfoundland, it's 1 in 50. Yeah, I'd heard that stat um,
0: yesterday. And that, as you say, is not insignificant. I have to tell you, um, it it is still very timid, I find, people in the marketing. And again, there's a whole bunch of reasons for it. But I take your point. I've been going back and forth to the the hospital, one of the hospitals here in St. John's, to visit my mom who had some surgery. And certainly, you know, you see more marketing there. You still mask there. But that's about the only place that I have seen a push for hypervigilance, if I could describe it that way. Yes. And so this is the issue. So right now we're seeing a trend across the U.S. and a few provinces
5: are trying to, you know, get rid of masking in hospitals. So the percentage wise is 30 percent of the cases that are acquired are acquired at the hospital right now. So that's with masking okay. and if someone catches COVID in the hospital if they're there for a hospital
0: stay they're a hundred times more likely to die from it so that's <laughs> I hope my all... mother's not listening now Keith she, one of her concerns is as she, well. <laughs> she wants to get out of hospital quickly because that she's concerned exactly. about that
5: so yes and, I, and, and if I were you I would get her N95s if you could bring in a, a portable air exchanger do it I mean do anything because it's already a highly volatile, dangerous uh, environment. So if you remove masking, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that number is going to the hospital shouldn't be that dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it, it, the hospital has always been a place where, you know, there's a lot of viruses and people yeah. do catch, you know, we, we've always known that. But, I mean, if 30% of the cases are caught there, then if you take away masking, which, you know, and, and the excuse that some of the provinces are giving is that, well, people aren't wearing them properly anyway. So this is where we go back to the lack of education and the complete failure to educate people. Because if you were teaching kids, like say you're teaching your kid to wear their coat when it's cold outside, you wouldn't send them outside with no coat just because they put it on wrong,
0: right? No, no you wouldn't. If,
5: you know, that's, if you're teaching teenagers how to wear condoms and be, and be safe, you're not going to say, you know what, don't wear condoms because some of the times you guys put those on wrong anyway right? It's ridiculous. So, so, so this is where, this is where we're at. We're trying to build awareness, but you know, it would be great. It would be wonderful if the government could start picking up that, you know, that slack on the education, because if you eliminate safety regulations and things that are keeping people safe that are proven to keep them safe because they're not doing it right. Wow. You know, so some, if a kid has that, you know, that top part of the seatbelt over their back, yep. hey, you don't need to wear it. You know, like, it's a ridiculous concept and very dangerous, right? So we're just trying to build that awareness, let people know that COVID is still very, you know, present in everyday life, and it's a damaging virus. Okay. It attacks T cells, immune system. It is not something that you want to tango with.
0: No, so I, I had it. I uh, My family had it. I agree with you. It's, it's no walk in the park. All right, got to leave it there, Keith. Thank you for calling and raising awareness about it, and uh, you're always welcome to do that on this show. Have a good weekend. Thank you very much. Take Have a great care. day. Bye. Bye. All right, we're going to take a break, but when we come back... Um, Mr. Todd Churchill is going to come on and respond to uh, some of the comments he heard from the head of the Newfoundland and Labrador English School District right after this here on VOCM's Open Line. Welcome back to Open Line. Well, we're going to go to Todd Churchill in a second. I just want to give you, uh, the listeners, a bit of context on the case. If you weren't familiar with it, what Kim and Todd Churchill have been doing, and uh, this is from a uh, CBC News report. Kim and Todd Churchill won a human rights case against the Newfoundland and Labrador English School District. And this comes from early March. They filed a human rights complaint against the district after learning their son Carter wasn't learning American Sign Sign Language in his school. The commission ruled that the district failed to provide reasonable accommodation for Carter Churchill and discriminated against him during the 2016 to 2020 school years, so from kindergarten to grade three. It has ordered the board to support Carter with education in American Sign Language and evaluate him in that language. The district was also also ordered to pay Todd and Kim Churchill close to $150,000. That's from CBC and also comes from the commission report. Now we'll bring on uh, Todd Churchill. Todd, how are you today? Uh, good.
6: How are you doing today,
0: Tim? Uh, I'm good. Um, you heard the interview earlier. What's your reaction to what you heard from the uh, the, the school district board this morning?
6: Well, I mean, Terry Hall just repeated uh, I guess the refrain from the district uh, taking no responsibility. He took responsibility but shirked it at the same time. It was a complete lack of acknowledgement that in this province, there is no uh, testing of teachers, for example, proficiency testing of teachers a, a student who's going to learn French will have a teacher who is proficiency tested in french you 'd never put a student yeah. uh, in a classroom with a teacher that doesn 't speak French and you know Jerry Lynn asked him about that this morning and he completely shirked it. Uh, you know his answer was well we 'll ask the teacher what the proficiency is i mean is that is that <laughs> what we 're going to do we 're going to ask the teacher how how proficient are you?" Uh, you know, and, and that was something that was identified in a report in 2011, testing of teachers and student assistants. Here we are talking about it in 2023. 12 years later
0: you know that's fascinating to me because i know in in not-for-profit community sports organizations they won't let you on the ice and i'm talking hockey now obviously with the reference to ice until they actually have and this should be the same in schools documented proof that you have x y and Z, coaching certificates and have done all the appropriate training so that's not the case in in the in the school board
6: that is totally not the case. Wow. You can actually come out of a uh, what's called a uh, master's of educational psychology in deaf and hard of hearing education and know very little sign language. And that is a fact. We spoke to the dean of Mount St. Vincent, one of three yeah. universities that offered that degree, and we, we educated him. And the fact he's producing graduates that are actually harming children like my son. But getting back to Mr. Hall. Yeah. You know, in in his statement, he said, well, you know, we didn't know. We weren't wholly aware or or have a a full perspective of the problem. We were talking about this problem for six years. We were in the media for six years. We followed a human rights complaint. Mm -hmm. His own staff within district. the chief adjudicator Brody Glant in his decision stated teachers were raising the alarms. And then they come out with a statement and say, well, we didn't have a full understanding of how bad the problem was. I mean, it's a cop-out. They all knew. It came out at the hearing. Multiple witnesses knew, did nothing.
0: So I asked this question out of ignorance and not having the history and the knowledge that you do. And so if I say anything that is wrong, I apologize for that in advance. But I'll just go to a circumstance. I know I grew up here in St. John's, and one of the kids that I grew up with was deaf. And he had the opportunity to go to the Newfoundland and Labrador School for the deaf, uh, which I assume. And again, I'm assuming, so that can make an ass of you and me, uh, more me in this case. Uh, that at least at that school there was specialized training how, how did you determine the stream of education for Carter so people get that
6: well I mean the problem is with deaf children there, there is no determination of the stream of education your okay. child is mainstream that, that is the, the service delivery model in this province for, for.
0: so there was no option for you to go to a specialized school
6: there, there isn't one
0: it's gone yeah okay
6: it's gone. So, like, Carter was uh, enrolled at Beachy Cove Elementary. He was the only deaf child in a population of 750 children. All wow. hearing. And it was testimony, it was heartbreaking testimony from a deaf student assistant who worked with Carter and said, you know, Carter was isolated. Carter was yeah. there. Like, he was completely ignored for four years at that school. And it's upsetting, to be honest with you. Well, of course it administru- is. It's the same administration... That oversaw that discrimination for four years of our son is still the administration of that school and no disciplinary actions are being taken against these people uh, this morning jerry lynn asked tony or uh, terry uh, hall about that and he completely said well you know it's the district's fault uh, no single person had involvement in discrimination of, our, of, of carter churchill people made decisions through their actions and inactions that led to discrimination of Carter. I mean, the transcript is there for people to read. If they want to go to carterchurchill.ca, they can read the full transcript of who knew what and when they knew it and what they didn't do.
0: So, I mean, you've won the case, but it, it seems like it's very little satisfaction because what it sounds like, and hey, I'm a parent, I get it. You want to create an environment where you're, where Carter and uh, children other than Carter can just learn as everybody else would learn and have the opportunity to do that and you're seeing no progress on that front.
6: Well, I mean, he, they started a, uh, the ASL immersive classroom that uh, Mr. Hall mentioned this morning online. It was started three years ago. The first year, there was two teachers of good proficiency. Okay. Uh, there, was no, there was no real concerns. The second year, which was grade five, uh, one teaching position was, was good, had a, a good proficiency. The other one was filled with varying people over a school year, from none to, to some. And now this year, we have a class where one teacher can sign and one can't. Um, So, you know, how is that acceptable? So to say, well, see, the the problem is, Mr. Hall today, he's trying to make it all about Carter. But there's other Carter Churchills. The only reason there's an ASL immersive classroom at all at East Point Elementary is because Todd and Kim Churchill filed a human rights complaint and wouldn't give up. We couldn't be beaten down. We couldn't be bled white financially. But for the Carter Churchills in Corner Brook, or in Grand Falls, Windsor, or in Marystown or Clarenville, they get nothing. So those children today, right now as we speak, are being discriminated in the same environment that Carter was at Beach Hill. Mr. Hall doesn't want to talk about that.
0: So uh, above Mr. Hall, obviously there's the Department of Education, the Minister of Education. Uh, the government always listens to, to this radio program. Um, what do you want to see happen in the, for, for the entirety of the province?
6: Well firstly, uh, Minister Hagee and Premier Fury can do something very concrete as an example to show that they're accountable and they're transparent. They can immediately appoint us as parent representatives to the Steering Committee on Deaf and Hearing Education which was created in 2019. We have been consistently denied a seat as a parent representative on that
0: committee. Why they figure you're going to stir up too much trouble, I assume, is the reason. Yeah, I
6: mean, heaven forbid you have a knowledgeable parent.
0: (laughs) Sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but you obviously have a sense of humor, too, going through all of this.
6: Yeah, and and one of the things that people at the problems have to be aware of, when Andrew Fury ran for the liberal leadership, he came to my house at my request and talked to me and my wife Mm -hmm. for over an hour about deaf education. It was on July 7th of 2020. Andrew Fury is personally aware of the issues in deaf education. Why? Because we told him personally. He made a commitment to create that parent representative position, finally. Did Todd and Kim get it? No, of course not. They appointed a parent who doesn't have a deaf child. That's who got appointed, and that's, that's a slap in the face to us.
0: Just before I let you go, let's talk about the person at the center of this. How is Carter? How's he doing? And as you look forward, have the worries, I mean, parents, we're always going to have worries about the future. Are they less or do they remain the same?
6: Well, I mean, to give you a context about Carter, Carter's been pushed to grade six and can't read. Oh, my. I mean, just imagine, Tim. I don't know how old your children are. My
0: Minus seven in grade three or two, going to grade three. So,
7: yeah, I can. I'm sure they
6: can probably read, right?
7: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
6: Uh, So just imagine your child was pushed to grade six. Just imagine if you said that in the context of a hearing child. A hearing child was pushed to grade six and couldn't read. He's so far behind in curriculum, they don't even grade him. At East Point Elementary, this ASL immersive classroom that Mr. Hall referenced today, he has never been graded in three years. He gets insufficient evidence on his report card against all subject matter. He's so far behind in curriculum, so far below grade level, they can't even grade him. Oh, that's Todd, a that's it. so
0: sad. You, you, Jeez, that's,
6: wow. We were told. We were told in kindergarten uh, by Bonnie Woodland. Hmm. I don't even. I don't mind saying her name because she said it. She said in a meeting at Beachy Cove Elementary, Carter is getting a quality education. Definitive. They've always defended it. The only reason they're admitting to it now is because they have to, because we forced them through a human rights board of inquiry, and there's, they can't deny it anymore. But the strategy's always been to deny, deny, deny. For six years, they denied it, and now they can't.
0: Well, I listen, it's, uh, my, my heart goes out to you, but you need more than my heart. You need others to to step up here I, I thank you for coming on today i thank you for giving your perspective and I admire what you and your uh your wife have done for your son and for uh, for others um and i uh, keep the pressure up i know you will it sounds like you're a very determined fellow and uh this is this is something that needs to be addressed yeah, any last words very- todd before we go
6: yeah, one of the things that I ask for your, for your listeners, and I know VOCM has enormous reach. It's a very popular radio show, yours and, and VOCM in general. I would ask people to go to our Facebook page called Deaf Children Matter. We've made a lot of posts over the years, and um, there's all kinds of information we're sharing. And I would ask people, um, a very simple request, doesn't cost to anybody anything, to go to Deaf Children Matter and just follow the page so that you can get updates on, on how Carter's progressing and how deaf okay. education's progressing. And uh, it would be a real show of support for Carter and other deaf children for people to really go on to that Facebook page and just follow it. It doesn't cost you anything. Okay. It, it, it takes seconds of your life. But go in and follow the Facebook page and really demonstrate to the government that you know this is important to people. People are not going to tolerate a deaf child being discriminated against. So this is a great way for the public to really get behind us and, and show support for our son. Okay.
0: i leave it there. If you can have one, have a, a good Easter weekend and hug your boy, as I'm sure you do all the time. Nothing more sure. valuable than our children. Uh, thank you, Todd. Appreciate your call. Yeah, take care. Okay. That was uh, Todd Churchill. Um, and again, if there are, if the Newfoundland-Labrador English School District, though Mr. Hall has been on earlier, would like to come back and offer a perspective, uh, Todd clearly wants a discussion. Um, we're, we're welcome to that. Or if you have a, a view, give us a call And all of that. Kristen, thank you for your patience. You're on the line there. We're going to go to the news. And when we come back, Kristen, we'll have you on the air. Here's the VOCM news.
3: Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that meet the most to you on Target weekday afternoons at one on your V O C M. Welcome
0: back to everyone. Tim sitting in here for Patty today. Uh, good to be here. Lines are lighting up as they like to say. And I let me go to Kristen who's been waiting patiently. Kristen, thank you for waiting. You want to talk about the um, delays in appointments for autism diagnosis? What's going on?
8: Um, I listened to the broadcast yesterday and I heard the story from the grandmother.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't hear it, so you're going to have to fill me in a little bit. Please, if you don't mind.
8: Yeah, she was talking about the delays for her for her grandson in getting the assessment, okay. even though it's suspected that he has autism. Um, then there was a call from the CEO of Autism Society here in Newfoundland. Okay. And from... My son has autism. He was diagnosed at two and a half. So, Patty asked the Autism Society what the real life implications are to this delay in diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel that, um, from a parent's perspective, that the that the that the real life implications weren't discussed because. After you get your diagnosis, so right now here in Newfoundland, according to the Autism Society, you're waiting 24 to 30 months for a diagnosis for your appointment. So that's two years. So your child is suspected at 18 months old of having autism. By the time you get your first appointment, you're looking at now your child soon going to be turning four. If, if that was the end of it, then that would, you know, to a certain degree be okay, but it's not. Because once you get that diagnosis, the services aren't magically in place the next day. Mm-hmm. Your, re- your referrals are sent. And living in rural Newfoundland, so I get a referral for a speech language pathologist. I might wait a year before I see one of those. Wow. Or an occupational therapist. So now my child is five, Mm -hmm. my child has started school, my child has had no intervention, he has had no, now I'm one of the lucky ones, when my child was diagnosed at two and a half, we got our services in place pretty quickly and Mm -hmm. for the most part he's doing very well. Like any family with a child with autism, yes we have our struggles but we're doing well, but the real life implications for the vast majority of people here in Newfoundland is that your 30 months turns into three, four years. And then, so your child is four and a half soon starting school and he soon sees a speech pathologist. But then that ends because now he's school aged and you can't see an Eastern Health speech language pathologist once your child turns school age. He has to see the one through the school.
0: Kristen, I, as you talk, and it, I, I have a very good friend of mine who has a has a boy who has autism, and I, what you say he has said as well. He's in Ontario, and they're dealing with it, and they, they have some means, so they've been able to go through through private systems. But do those even exist here? And if they do, how expensive is it to help uh, your child uh, outside of the public system?
8: Um. Well, we actually went private for our diagnosis, but it was covered by MCP. Okay. What a lot of families aren't told is that there is at least one doctor in the St. John's area that does diagnosis, and she is covered by MCP, even though she is not an Eastern Health doctor. Okay. We were lucky enough to get into her within three months of our referral being sent. If we had to go to some of the other private companies that do the assessments and diagnosis, you're looking at about $3,000. And that's just for-
0: Just to to get the diagnosis, no treatment.
8: Right? A speech language pathologist is roughly $125 an hour if your insurance doesn't cover it if you're lucky enough to have it. Um, An occupational therapist is around the same amount. Wow. But then that's just that real life implication. The other real-life implication that doesn't seem to be talked about Mm -hmm. is that when your child is struggling and you don't have a diagnosis, you don't have supports, so the the two and a half years you're waiting for your diagnosis, a lot of families are finding their family units are falling apart because you don't know why your child is on the floor banging his head, and you don't know how to help him.
0: It's... Yeah, I... I, I don't have a child with autism, but I can relate to the, the the strain. I think any parent listening can. Let me let me ask you one other question, and I'll just say to the other callers, I'm going to take Kristen right to the break, and then I will 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 come to you all. This is an important subject. Um, I hear this. I, as you know, I spend most of my time in Ottawa, come back and forth, but I hear the story of the lack of comprehensive autism services all across the country. My understanding of it is largely um, related on two sets of numbers, the number of people that are suffering and the cost of treatment. As you look across the country, as you look at it here, why are we not able to provide comprehensive service from birth through adulthood to uh, people like uh, your child who suffers from autism?
8: I think that there is a lack of, um, one, medical professionals okay. that are trained in dealing with autistic individuals, whether it be children or adults. Um, I also believe that the autism community are not necessarily being listened to as to what it is that that helps, what it is okay. that's actually needed. Um, As I said, like, as a parent with a child who has autism and different struggles that we have faced over the past five years, we're in rural Newfoundland. Yeah. There's no support. You have, you know, your neighbor whose child might have autism, and you're relying on them for support. But to say that there is support in rural Newfoundland, no, there's not. And... If you're able to travel constantly to St. John's or Cornerbrook or the larger populated areas where the services exist, you may find it easier, but mm-hmm. rural Newfoundland especially is not being represented. The services just aren't there. And the, like, and it's falling down on all levels for autistic children, because once they hit school age Then you have the issue of the school, then you have the issue of the training of the people in the school to handle it because, as everybody knows, if you've met one person with autism, you've you've met just one person because the spectrum is so wide. It's
0: wide and different. (laughs) Okay. Well, I appreciate you calling. I appreciate you advocating and and trying to help the rest of us understand. And uh, we will continue to to pay attention to this really important issue and and wish you and and your family luck uh, as you continue to navigate it all and and everybody else who is working uh, through um, the challenges of, of working with family members that have autism. Thank you for the call today, Kristen. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right. Um, that was an important call and uh, wanted to be thorough and make sure Kristen had the, the, the time to, to address things. All calls are, of course, important here on VOCM Open Line. There are three of you waiting. Charlie, will go to you when we come back here on VOCM's Open Line. All right. Here we go again. We're going to talk to Charlie now, as promised, and Charlie wants to talk about Mr. Trump. Charlie, how are you?
9: Uh, good morning, Tim. Actually, but Mr. Trump, no, I'm going to leave that for a minute here now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. They're misleading me on the board here. What do you got?
9: I'd like to, to just comment on, on uh, Dawson Mercer playing from, oh, yeah, uh, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. He's from my hometown of Bay Roberts.
0: Oh well, he did you proud the other night that hat trick. Oh,
9: yes, he did. But I'm forever. My Leafs were drafting the oh, year he was
0: Charlie. Playing. Charlie, and I liked you part. till I heard about this part. All right, keep they, going. They,
9: they drafted right before Dawson Mercer a Russian by the name of Amirov. Yeah. Now, got a poor guy's got a brain tumor. Aye. I, I, I don't know if he's uh, uh, getting better of that. But they. Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me, they That's could have been okay. Dawson
0: Mercer. I can't believe it. Well, he, uh, he probably to be fair to Dawson Mercer probably worked out better because as you know playing in that hothouse of Toronto particularly yeah. when you're a young player can be pretty tough not that he couldn't have dealt with it of course I'm sure he could have dealt with it but now he's the darling of New Jersey I listen to a lot of hockey podcasts when I run and they're all you know and they're insider hockey podcasts so it's more than you hear on the the normal news reports they're all very high on him uh, and he's he's done very well and, and Alex Newhook too at the, at the Avalanche but uh, Dawson at least right now the spotlight's a little bit brighter uh, on him but they're uh, both fine representatives of the province in the NHL
9: it was interesting when he played for Team Canada he was their extra forward yeah and uh, look, look how he's come along but anyway I'll, I'll be mad at my Leafs forever on that one
0: <laughs> there's <laughs> lots of reasons to be mad at the Leafs Charlie keep going
9: <laughs> oh I'm, I'm gonna hang in there but anyway you had the guy on uh, about the university this morning Alex Yep. Yeah. now you know there was no Rideau Canal this, uh, this, this winter, right? Oh, I,
0: ca- I know. I was hanging on. I love skating on the Rideau Canal. First time in 70 years.
9: I've never, I've never. Or 50
0: years, that. sorry. Always, 50 years, 50 years.
9: Yes. It's always been my dream to have done that. And then the Labrador races in March, as you know, got canceled. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the reason I'm, sa- I'm giving these two examples, these are two minor examples in a way. The university, a lack of vision, what I can not understand is this, and I've mentioned this before and I'm going to continue to, to, to bring it up, we're told that on this planet we have an existential threat to our survival, uh, we're told by the, by, by, by the United Nations, by, by the, all the scientists of the world, excluding a couple of uh, crackpots. And uh, what I can understand is they can go through university and there's not a requirement for a course on how to live on this planet, how to deal with this threat.
0: You mean a mandatory one? I mean, there are certainly mandatory. electives, but yes, you mean a mandatory course. We have a mandatory, mandatory
9: course. English course where we learn about Shakespeare, which is all very well. We have a mandatory <laughs> course on math where we, where, where we learn uh, 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 all kinds of things uh, about math that we'll never, ever, ever use again. We have all these mandatory things, but we don't have a mandatory course on how to live on this planet. Now. That that to me is a complete lack of vision, and I'm not only referring to this university. I'd, I'd say the same for high school education as well. By the way, Did it should you,
0: actually start in high school. I remember in the new, you know, in the public education system here, we used to, and it was a good one. You had a course on Newfoundland culture, and cool. I think you should you should start earlier. Uh, although I will give credit to um, younger people; um, they they spend a lot of time trying to understand what's happening to our planet.
9: Well. It's not good enough for us to say, you might get a a professor that'll talk about this. You might get a course that'll bring this in. I'm talking about a systematic course that you cannot avoid. And this should be done in high school. Elementary is strand right up through elementary, a definite course in high school, and a mandatory course in university. And, and and no one seems to be talking about this. We go on as if the world is like it was 200 years ago, and I can't understand this lack of vision, why this is not being talked about at the
0: curriculum level, you know? You, you don't want Jordan Peterson teaching this? <laughs> well, I, I'll take him. I like Sorry, I, I had to drop that in there. No. Listen, I think curriculum constantly needs to be looked at. As you know, there's lots of contention, although there should be less, about climate change reality or not, but I think even you know arch conservatives are moving to a place where there is something going on and we got to deal with it but pedagogy should ever be evolving i've got about a minute and a bit i do want your take on so what did you think of this spectacle this week i know where you're leading but
9: very quickly to to trumpers uh, and not so much about him to trumpers in this province and and across canada especially out west Here's a man who had somebody fixing things for him, as somebody said. He had his father fixing things for him. He lost close to, if the estimates are right, a half billion dollars of his father's money. Later he had that uh, lawyer, not Cohen, but Cohen, the uh, yep. crook the crook lawyer, i call him, who represented mobsters. He fixed things for him. Uh, then he had Michael Cohen uh, and, and other lawyers doing, and he lost uh, God knows how many uh, civil suits. He was never charged with a crime, but his Trump University, his charities, and that which he stole from. He, he had all these fixes. Now, finally. I don't think he's able to get his fixes to fix this one. But the point I wanted to make was all those people, those evangelicals that support this guy, they said about Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton has no character. You can't have a, you can't have a president that has no character. So Trump comes along, who, who certainly has no character and no, and no anything else, and they're okay because he supports abortion. Of course, he doesn't support abortion. He was, alwe- he was, he was always
0: pro uh, uh, Pro he was always choice. The,
9: the, the, the other side until it became yeah. convenient. And then when the election was held recently, and and he he blamed the uh, pro-lifers for mm-hmm. for losing the election, so 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 he's never been w- with them on that. But they use that and the Supreme Court nominees as if that cancels out yeah. all the evil, yeah, but... all the lives ruined <sighs> that man has ruined. You know
0: yeah i gotta leave it there i just say this to you charlie i know you're shocked as i am that there's hypocrisy in politics yeah and <laughs> there's a raging age of hypocrisy with the way some people justify trump uh, as they do, did condemn clinton all right good to talk to you have a good weekend
9: okay you too tim take Thank care you, tim.
0: bye all right uh pamela Patton, the president of c newfoundland is on the line now pamela how are you this morning
10: Oh, good, good. Beautiful morning in Fortune.
0: Well, it seems like the sun is shining all over the island and hopefully too in Labrador. I just hope, Pam, we don't get that freezing rain they've got up along because it's been messy out here.
10: Oh, no, we don't want that.
0: No, we don't want that. Anyway, you want to talk about something that involves snow, but snow crab, not uh, the falling snow.
10: Yes, exactly. Um, I don't know if you are familiar with the um, project Ryan Cleary brought up uh, earlier in the week talking to Patty. Uh,
0: No, I'm not. So you can give me a quick overview and the audience a quick overview.
10: Okay. Well, given with the price of crab and the conundrum we're in, um, our members have, uh, at CNL devised a plan to kind of help fishermen alleviate cost with the pot-to-plate program. Okay. Uh, We're we're educating people that they can sell local product. Okay. Okay. Just to kind of offset the cost, um, if the price come in, obviously lower than than we can handle. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm just calling to kind of add to that, that um, based on the panel, because the panel, uh, well, it's rumored right now, because we still don't know it's supposed to come out today. It's rumored that the buyers went back five cents above at 220 a pound, the ASP, and that the union came in at 310. So we're not sure where that's going to sit. Um, so, based on that, we're asking if anyone's going to do some local sales. Like, you know, we're encouraging uh, locals to go out and get hooked up with a fisherman and definitely buy some fresh product. So, uh, again, um, if it comes in at $220, we're, we're just, this is just an encouraging price, right? Because we want to yeah. keep everybody on the same page to kind of start a fair market for both harvesters and consumers. So, if it came in at 220 we kind of encourage around a $5 range. And if it comes in at 310 ten, well, then a 6 right? This will help harvesters, obviously, alleviate the cost. Um, insurance have doubled in the last three years with fuel over $2, and the lowest price I'm hearing for bait is two forty a pound for squid. So, I mean, it doesn't take a mathematician to figure out this is, this is a doomed industry at the moment, right? So this is an awesome project, right? Like, so just
0: pedantically, if I'm a restaurant and I want to buy snow crab off a fisherman, how do I do it?
10: So a restaurant is limited. Okay. Uh, People are not. Restaurants are limited under their own rules. They are allowed to buy 300 pounds of product. Okay. But again, we're not going to put that off into the fishermen because the restaurant know their rules.
0: Okay. So if I'm, I, Tim Powers, the only time I'll reference myself in the third person because God, that wants to make me barf. Uh, But snow crab wouldn't make me barf, although I'm allergic to shellfish. So there you go. I wouldn't be able to eat it. But if I were buying it for my mother, the poor woman in hospital, how would I go about doing it?
10: Well, this is what, we're, what I'm going to add up. We're, we're putting in a hook-me-up program. So if you don't know a fisherman yourself, uh, we're asking anyone who wants to buy crab to contact CNL, and okay. we will put you in touch with our member in your area. So then you can then reach out to the fisherman and make a plan to buy what you want.
0: Tinder for snow crab then, if I can make a little bit of light on swipe right and you get your snow crab. Hey, listen, I'm teasing, but that's that's an awesome idea. And and uh, is is the site up? Is the ability to do it up now?
10: Um, oh, absolutely. Okay. I mean, we've done it with other species in hard times. Okay. Um, it's just a, we've never been really told that you can, right? We know it's legal; it's all been obviously confirmed. Um, so this is just again another way for fishermen to supplement, right? Yeah, and and- we're not going to sell, you know, the million man and the crab in Newfoundland, but it's a start. It's a start to starting a local market, and it's there. It's just the way that our plant deal with our product; it doesn't go local.
0: Yeah, no, that, uh, again, we live in the sharing economy, too, and for years there used to be uh, people on the side of the road who would sell their fish products, so why you wouldn't be able to use technology to do that, uh, again, makes sense to me, and uh, God bless you for doing that, and hopefully it, uh, it, it has some effect. How's the initial take-up been, Pam? Pardon? How has the initial take-up of it been? Are you seeing a lot of activity?
10: Oh my God, yes. People are reaching out with so many questions. It's it's shocking um, that a lot of fisher people don't know this is an option. Um, but again, we we've been in an industry where there's yep. little education, there's no communication, and while we have representation, they don't communicate with us. And while we have a market, and no doubt the market's taking a hit, we can't deny that. However, the markets don't consider our expense, and you can't expect yeah. people in any business to go in the hole. Like, it doesn't happen. No. It's just bankruptcy. So,
0: well, not- and then you make a good point. I mean, the marketing and selling of any product is not inexpensive, uh, and the, if you, as you're trying to do, make it more direct to sales. Uh, here for for uh, different fishers. That's a smart thing uh, thing to do, particularly in more precarious times. Uh, anything else you want to add quickly, Pam, before I go to break?
10: No, no, I think we're good. If anyone has any questions, please reach out to CNL. We're here to help, Brett.
0: All right, good. Good to have you on. Good luck with that. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. Okay, bye. bye. I like that. Maybe I'll coin that. Tinder for snow crap. I think it's got potential. And of course, I'm just joking. I know we're on the eve of a big religious holiday and we're talking about morals, but Tinder's an acceptable app. Don't use it myself. Anyway, that's way too much information. Time for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. Back with you, Leona, in a minute when we're going to talk about fairy costs
3: got plans for midnight bring your vocm along with the best soundtrack for every night anywhere the vocm all night show midnight on your vocm welcome
0: back we're gonna to go to leona now leona thank you you've been waiting a little bit i appreciate your patience you want to talk about ferry costs let us uh, let's go tell us all about it
11: Yes, I certainly do. Uh, My son's coming home this summer. First time in two years now because at the rates they're charging on those boats, he can't afford it. And I'll be 82 next month, and I like to see my son at least once a year. But anyway, I was talking to him uh, back in 22. I said, "Now be sure and book your passage because if you don't, you won't get a room. Mm -hmm. He didn't listen, of course, and there not too long ago he phoned in. And they have a room for, like, he's he's in a wheelchair. Okay. And they have a room for him. It's a special room. And guess how much he's got to pay to come across and go back again.
0: I will, so where is he coming from? Are you coming across Basque or where?
11: Yeah, um, uh, yeah Argentia. He's Argentia.
0: Okay, it's he's usually a bit more.
11: on him to drive across Newfoundland, right? He's got a special vehicle. Okay. That's why he has to come home by the boats. Um. Because uh, I don't have anything for him and when he's here he kills me and himself trying to get him in my vehicle. <laughs>
0: but
11: I think what do you
0: point. say? So I sorry, Leon, I was gonna say ask I'm guessing a few hundred bucks. Is it like four or five hundred bucks?
11: <laughs> Add eleven hundred dollars to that.
0: Really? Because of the um special arrangements he needs yes. for his wheelchair. So sixteen hundred bucks. Wow.
11: Sixteen hundred bucks. Isn't that ridiculous? <laughs>
0: And then he's, so where is he driving from before he gets to Argentia?
11: From Barrie, Ontario.
0: Oh, so he's spending a whack of money on gas to get down there, too. Jeez. And yeah. a night night in a hotel, probably in Sydney, North Sydney. Yeah,
11: it's, uh, it's you know, you talk about handicapped people. Uh, I mean, they really take advantage of those people.
0: And has there been a rate increase? I mean, he's done this. So have, has this been the same rate? Has it changed? What what, what have you seen from a comparable perspective?
11: Well, I don't know, to tell you the truth. He was home two years ago. Okay. And I didn't get around to asking him how much uh, he paid. But this time, he said, it's $1,600, Mom. <laughs> and I said, well, boy, you don't have to call him. He said, oh, well, yes, I do. I want to see you, he said. So he's got to pay it.
0: Yeah, and they're really, I mean, he could, I guess he could fly, but I'm just thinking. I, I know to fly home because I'm, I'm home here a lot. I mean, even with the cheapest ticket, you're still, and I'm able-bodied uh, paying about 800 bucks. That's the cheapest probably return. You might get a seat sale, but then you've got no flexibility. Yeah, so he's really limited in his options if he wants to see you.
11: Well, this is it. He, he can't fly home. Because um, he doesn't have a vehicle when he gets here.
0: Okay, and he needs a vehicle, as you say, to move around.
11: Oh, like he's dead from his rib cage down. Oh my. And yeah, it's the doctor's fault. The doctor's were at fault. So, didn't operate on him in time, and uh, that was it.
0: So, what would you? I mean, the Marine Atlantic people listening here. What would you like to say to them? I mean, obviously, it's too pricey. What would you like to see them do?
11: I'd like to see him them give him a, a better rate. I mean that every other book, room was booked because he was late calling in. Mm-hmm. But I know now why that one wasn't booked because nobody can afford it.
0: Yeah, it's it's expensive. You know. <laughs> And you got to see your mom. I, I will tell you that. I like I I I, I come back a lot. Uh, it's important yeah. to do, particularly. I mean, you're still young, Leona, at 82, but you want to make sure you get all those quality years, right?
11: <laughs> well, I don't know how many more I have. Quality years left, but anyway, I'm pretty good so far. But to me, you know, you know, to me, I was shocked. I said to him, "I'm phoning an open line about this."
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad you did. I mean, there's always been a debate about the rates of uh, travel on the ferries because there's, mm-hmm. of course, it's a constitutionally mandated service. It's supposed to be affordable. A lot of people would make the argument that you are rightly making that sixteen hundred isn't affordable, and you're not considering your son's. Uh, special requirements and they need to do better. So you did them proud today, Leona. We'll see if there's any movement from from Marine Atlantic and thank you for raising the issue.
11: You're welcome and thank you for taking my call.
0: All right, you have a good day. Bye. (laughs) Bye Bye-bye now. Uh, interesting one. Uh, I, I've always heard, not, not that specific issue, but marine Atlantic rates have always been a challenge. And if anybody has any information they want to share that may help Leona and her son, give us a call back and we'll put you on the air. Now going to go to Don uh, Keo, who's on the line. Don is a nurse practitioner and he wants, or sorry, he, I don't know if he's a nurse practitioner. He wants to talk about nurse practitioners and, and MCP. Don, how are you? Oh, Don, I forgot to push the button. See, I screwed up for the... Don, I was talking to myself, and God, nobody wants that. Uh, Don, how are you now?
12: Jim, good morning. How are you today, sir?
0: Well, I thought I was going to go 100, get 100% on the tech, but I just screwed it up. I screwed your introduction up, and I screwed up the tech. You saved the call for me, Don. What do you got? Well,
12: I'm going to put another tick, another Rex on your Oh,
0: no, what did I get wrong now?
12: The name is John.
0: Oh, well, that's not my fault, but I'll fall on the sword for my producer because that's how good I am. Well, John, Don, what do you want, buddy? Tell, I'm teasing you. Go ahead, John. That's,
12: that's a good one. Listen, uh, I'd like to applaud what the, some of the things I guess the government is doing now with the druggists and the RNs. Uh, they're getting you know, prescriptions, getting being able to be filled, and some of the stuff is covered under MCP and all that okay so it's a plus they Mm -hmm. are trying to do they are trying to do some stuff but my my concern is uh, a little over a year ago i found out when i went to get a new prescription that my doctor retired okay and i had i had no knowledge of it
0: really usually a doctor will send a note uh, to his or her patients you didn't get any of that
12: exactly because now i only go to a doctor when i need my prescription or whatever so, you know, might have been lost in the works or whatever. But uh, having said that, so I, the druggist filled mine for another 90 days, which was great, like they would, thanked, and I thanked them, you know. But what happened afterwards, I went on the wait list. Okay. No problem with the doctors. No, uh, no, uh, I got no response or anything. Well, they, they, they did call me six months later and told me I was on the list. So I went, and I was talking to someone, I went to a nurse practitioner, which was great. They're yep. allowed to do yep. most, a lot of things that the doctors do, they can issue prescriptions, uh, blood work, uh, special tests, EKG, vascular stuff, and all that, which is great. The only thing, problem is, they are not covered under N- MCP. So every visit, mm. every, vi- every visit I made to my nurse practitioner, I had to pay for my insurance will not cover it because it's supposed to be covered under MCP. MCP won't cover it because
13: oh, supposedly,
12: no. supposedly it's in the works. Now, in August of 2019, it's not so much August, in the
0: works. If your money's gone out the door, John. <laughs> John.
12: Exactly. And, and Don's
0: money, know, too. could have been you and Don John who did it yeah, all. Anyway, could have been, that's right. In,
12: in, in August, the government signed this bill, part of Bill 55, I believe it was. I'm out in my car now, so, so, I don't have my rec- so I don't have my records with me. But they signed it saying the nurse practitioners could do all this. So basically, that's almost four years now. And anyone that went, and, and as we know, 25% of Newfoundland have, has no doctors. So we have 25% that are either going to the ERs or going to a doctor and waiting in the waiting room, waiting in the waiting room, or going without. And anyway, I had a, a bit of an argument with my insurance company, and I said, well, that's all right, I said, I'll forego my pills and all that, and I'll go in the hospital, it cost either you or the government $100,000, and all you owed me was $170. <laughs> How
0: so they I, like you know, that proposition.
12: Well, the ladies. Well, one of the ladies said, "Well, you know, did your doctor uh, recommend or refer you to the nurse practitioner?" And after the fourth time she saw, she, she said that to me. I sort of swore and said, "If I had a effing doctor, <laughs> I wouldn't have needed a nurse practitioner." <laughs> <coughs> but the meantime is oh whoever, was, who, who, whoever your your uh, producer is this morning. I can't remember his or her name. Oh, there we go. I got back at him for Don. There
0: you go. He's Dave. He's Dave. But well, you Dave. can call him Steve or something. Sorry, just
12: to... I'll call him Frank. I'll just <laughs> call him Frank. But uh, but I called MCP. I got two different people a couple of days ago. And they said, oh, yes, they're still looking at it. I said, you know, this is four years. How many other Johns or Dans, like you said, are out there? Out of pot- money out of pocket. And yeah. I only go, I only go when I need my prescription or... When Trent decides he wants to, all the other tests I had years ago, he wanted to get them done so he'd have all the new facts. So, I mean, I've had four visits, I'm out, well no, now that's that's the lie, $230. And of course we all know if I put it in on my income tax, I get a, a credit for 3% of it. So I'm still out 200 and some odd dollars.
0: Yeah, Which isn't anything in this day and age, right, where dollars are tight.
12: I'm out working now, and I'm seventy years old. I'm out delivering flyers because.
0: Do you need the I cash. Yeah.
12: Well, I, I like my little perks.
0: Yeah, and and good on you, right? But still, yeah. if you you know if you had that extra two hundred dollars in your pocket, you could have one of yeah. those perks.
12: Oh yeah, a few more of them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but,
1: but, oh my. But
12: anyway, Tim, I Tim, I when like when Dave said, you know, it was brought up a while ago about nurse practitioners and MCP and all that. But right now, I mean, how many more of me are out there? And uh, right now, I said, I'm going to open a line. I don't have all my facts and figures here, but I am writing a letter to, to, I think it's Tom Osborne now. Minister of Health. Health. I'm going after him, and then I'm going back after Sun Life. Because, I mean, someone's got to fix something. I mean, everyone out there, I'm I'm paying a good chunk of taxes. There's people out there with drug cards. Yep. There's people getting covered with MCP that are paying little or no taxes. I'm paying a nice chunk of taxes because I did have a good job. I have a yep. personal pension. I have CPP and OHS, and I'm still working right It doesn't right mean now. you
0: have a right to get screwed. Yeah, it doesn't. Exactly. exactly.
12: Just because – and, I mean, I'm, people are out there living – I'm not going to go any further than that, but okay.
0: – yeah, yeah no, I, I, I know what you're alluding to. Yeah. Anything else, John, Don, or any of your identities want to add before we go? I've got to take a break here.
12: Yeah, well, like I said, the, the picture in the post office doesn't do me justice.
0: <laughs> uh, I'll tell Steve to up his game in the producer's booth here to get all these names right. <laughs> anyway, good to talk to you. I hope you, you get some resolution. You have a good Easter weekend.
12: Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Frank.
0: <laughs> take care. Bye. <laughs> oh, my. Having a bit of fun at poor Dave Williams' expense. But he can take it. He's, uh, he's an able fellow. All right. We're going to take a break. Tom, you're coming up uh, when we come back. And I have a great email from a Stephanie... Kennedy on uh, response to the, the caller who, Kristen, who was speaking about autism. I'll read that to you when we come back here on Sam's Open Line. Welcome back to Open Line. I was just chewing an apple there. So if you hear any chewing sounds, I'm just finishing it up and I know chewing's rude on the air. Tom, before I go to you, I just want to read this uh, email from Stephanie because it's in response to the conversation we had with Kristen on autism. So let let me read this. I want to do it because it's um, very thoughtful and gives a a healthy, healthy perspective for those who, like me, are trying to understand the gravity and impact of autism. She says, Tim, I wanted to connect on the caller that spoke about the delays in diagnosis and receiving supports in autism. I was diagnosed very late at 42. I I am also ADHD. I've been let go three times from professional positions since 2019 without cause, which I consider to be systemic discrimination. The implications of late diagnosis and support get increasingly worse the latter the diagnosis, and women, BIPOC and LGBTQ2+, are grossly underdiagnosed, and women, in particular, are often diagnosed. The DSMs, criteria points out, that's the psychiatric diagnosing manual, uh, are out are, are common symptoms in white males, but does not capture presentations in the above underrepresented groups. The CDC, so that's the U.S. Center for Di- Disease Control, as of 2023 estimates one in 36 children are autistic. I've experienced brutal bullying in workplaces because i process the information slowly, and the bullies pick up on that. The prevalence of bullying for autistic children and adults is extremely high. I view autism as neurodiversity. I don't consider myself as having autism, I'm autistic. The only disability or disorder I've faced is from the environment that does not accommodate my neurodiversity. It shames and bullies me because I'm different from the norm. For example, I am often a detail oriented, many autistics are, but corporate workplaces will tell you that you're overthinking something. The sooner you know how your brain is wired, the better the child or adult will do. It's like finally being fitted for lenses and seeing the world. It is so crucial that diagnoses and supports are provided early. Trying to unwind this at 42 is not so much a time. It's not so much an easy time. Emailing this is a better form of communication for me. I can't articulate my thoughts as well as when spoken. I appreciate the opportunity to be heard and alternative forms of contact uh, for open line. Signed, Steph. Uh, Steph, glad you shared that. That most certainly helps me understand a little bit better, and I'm sure it helps others. And good courage for you and being open about it all. And uh, good luck as you try to navigate what clearly is an extremely difficult situation. Okay. We're going to move from uh, that important message from Steph to talk about uh, Leona, who was just on about her son trying to get back a Marine Atlantic. And Tom has a suggestion for her. Tom, how are you this morning?
14: I'm fine, Tim. How are you?
0: I'm good, thank you. What do you think uh, Leona ought to do as she tries to get her son back here and has to pay, uh, as she describes it, pretty exorbitant rates to do so?
14: Well, I'm, I was in my vehicle. In fact, I'm still in my vehicle when I was listening to the lady, and I'm surprised I still got a steering wheel in my SUV because I was so pissed off I almost pulled it out. Uh, you know, this, 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 is a, this is a violation of everything that's, that's decent. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I call a hotel down here in St. John's and I say I, I'm coming in, I want an accessible room, they don't double charge me or triple charge me. Yep. Uh, and if you get on a Marine Atlantic and this gentleman needs an accessible room, and the fact that they're charging him an exorbitant rate is a violation of it's human rights, is a violation of everything that we stand for in this country. And man, oh man, I can't understand. I was, I, was, in fact, I was in Ottawa this summer, and that's how I got there. I traveled on Marine okay. Atlantic, And, and my 8-year-old wanted some fries. $11 <laughs> for a few fries and, uh, you know, a half a potato. Oh, my uh, God. That aside, the yeah. prices on this bloody ferry are crazy. But this one particular issue of charging this person who needs an accessible room and absorb it in rage, you know, the man needs to file a human rights complaint. And if he needs help with it, call me. We're right. at the hub, and I'll certainly help him because this, this, this can't go on for people trying to get home to see his mom and yep. charging. In the meantime, if he did choose to fly, for example, mm-hmm. then when he comes home, we have the go bus here in Saint John. Okay, he can get he can get access to, and if he needs some issues with that, again, he can call, and we can get him pre-approved before he arrived.
0: And you said the hub, yeah. correct, Tom? Did I hear that right?
14: Yeah, I'm at the hub. Okay. Yeah, I'm the executive director of the hub, the Physically Disabled Service yep. Center. And uh, he can call us. Uh, Dave knows my number off by her. Uh And, uh, you know, we can help him get him pre-approved if he wants to fly. Uh, but in the interim, I would file a formal complaint with uh, – with these guys, because this is ridiculous, yeah. absolutely ridiculous. Sixteen hundred dollars to put your your head down for for six or eight hours. That's that's that can't go on. It makes me so upset. I, like I want to go to Portobase or Argentia, and protest because this shouldn't be going on. It shouldn't happen in 2023. Charging people with disabilities more. And people
0: without disabilities. Well, you, know, you, you make I'm the right excited. point, I think, too, and, and you know this better than I do, but I, I, a human rights complaint here, which is easier, I think, to file, still has some complications and than, than, than uh, previous is is a way to go here, because at, at least when you go that route, or perhaps somebody from Marine Atlantic is listening today and will do a little bit of legwork and solve the problem without going through the whole process. But if that doesn't happen, um, yeah, you got to go. You got to go that route because then Marine Atlantic um, will be compelled by a recognized tribunal to say you can't do this. And not only will you help Leona's son, you will help others who are finding themselves in the same predicament.
14: Yeah, it's crazy, absolutely crazy.
0: All right.
14: Uh, anyway, I, I've I've sounded off, and I, I think I got my vent <laughs> <laughs> done for today. On a final note, we've all been following the crab prices, and and I went to Costco yesterday to yeah. pick up some Easter eggs, and I looked at uh, some king crab legs there. Uh, there was four legs, you know, how long they are. They're about
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. 14 inches four crab legs $82 oh my god
14: <laughs> it's oh pretty ex- my that's mind.
0: pretty expensive protein and I like my protein but whoa <laughs> all right Tom thank you all right, thanks thanks for
14: getting my
0: call okay, okay. take care Love all right me. that was Tom all right we're gonna try and squeeze you in here Judy we got to go to news but I'll give you a couple of minutes you got a story about your great-grandfather you there Judy Oh. Uh, oh, i sorry. I did it again. Twice. That's Judy. okay. All right, okay. there you go. Dave there's Dave's no, correcting me now. No problem. Tell us about your great-grandfather. I got to give you a yeah, couple of minutes. Yeah.
15: 161 years ago, April 2nd. Mm-hmm. He and thir- he was 18. He wrote in his diary. They were um, picked up by a ship or a schooner off Cape Bonavista and they two ships that had sunk in the ice and so there were a combined crew of 39 men and they left this third schooner and they walked to cape bonavista took them really yeah 12 and a half hours and he said that they didn't walk a straight line like a bird would fly he said so of course they had to assess each pan of ice as to you know one guy leading so, yeah, they walked and they arrived in, at the lighthouse in Bonavista at 7 p.m. that uh-huh. day. And the lighthouse keeper didn't have enough food for 39 starving men. So he went to town and came back with bread and tea. And they went and they they met with the magistrate at the time, Sweetland, and he said he was very kind to them. And uh, then he headed back home to Tilting, and he concluded his story, Tilting, Pogo Island. Um, his story by saying my dear reader he said feel money have flippers of its own to paddle away
0: <laughs>
15: <laughs>
0: that is a great story a great mood center for easter weekend uh right on. thank you for sharing that judy <laughs> Thank
15: you, Tim.
0: Take care.
15: Happy Easter.
0: You too. Okay, bye. bye. Uh, there you go. I got to figure it out, Dave. All right, we're going to go to news now. When we come back, Troy Croft, the uh, CEO of Sport Newfoundland and Labrador.
3: Weekday mornings from 5:30 to 9, Jump jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your V O C M morning show.
0: All right, I'm going to get all this right in the last hour. No technological screw-ups. So let me go right to line one and talk to Troy Croft, the executive director of sport, Newfoundland and Labrador. Troy, how are you? I'm good, Tim. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I, uh, I'm glad to be speaking with you. I'm glad to be speaking with you, too, about some positive things in sport. I don't know about you, Troy, and you and I have talked a lot of sports in the past. It's been tough for sports leaders, and rightly so. There have been a lot of, lot of challenges, and we don't get to talk about as much as the, of the good that still happens as we once did. And One of the things that you guys are doing, it's your 50th anniversary. Congratulations on that. Yeah. You're launching a, uh, a summit with Sport Law who I know and the Center for uh, Ethics and Sport who I also know on the ho- and it's part of the Hope on the Horizon Tour just give us a sense of what that
1: is yeah, so, you know, as part of our anniversary, our 50th anniversary celebrations, we wanted to have a, you know, some kind of a legacy piece, and this, you know, this opportunity came up, and, you know, we've been talking somewhat for years, so, you know, this opportunity to partner with, you know, the Sport Law Group and the Center for Ethics in Sport was a great opportunity, because as you said, there's a lot, you know, sports changed in the last five years, and, you know, we just came out of a pandemic, you know, in terms of, you know, some of the challenges and some of the changes in sport around. Safe sport, you know, uh, abuse-free sport has just been launched. You know, equity, mm-hmm. diversity, and inclusion sport. So all these new things that are happening in sport, you know, it's uh, it's it's challenging for all of our members. And then you think of all the local clubs and associations to number one deal with that, yep. understand that, and then you know try to implement policies and stuff around that. So so you know it's it, that's what the hope tour is about. It's about you know I guess giving hope to all of our members in terms of you know what there's there's support out there to help you navigate all these new changes in the sports system they don't have to do it alone so you know dina and steve is uh, very good i've worked with dina before in, in rugby she's excellent and dina yeah. of course is the uh, sport law correct yeah exactly yeah and and steve indig with sport law group as well and steve's so, excellent know- as well yeah they're two top quality people yeah, 100 percent. And you know, they they definitely you know they have a, a wealth of expertise and knowledge about these you know pressing issues. So so we're excited to have them come to the province. And you know, I think they have seven cities around the country uh, scheduled right now. So so they're going to be coming and you know talking about these issues, providing resources, providing you know some some support to our members to help navigate uh, some of these uh, you know changes and challenges that our, our members are dealing with in the in the sport delivery system.
0: Troy, are you seeing any chill? Cheer- from all of the challenge, different sport organizations have had, and the chill in terms of volunteers, because sport so relies on volunteers, and they need volunteers to coach, to administer, uh, just to keep keep them running. And the programs that you're, you're hoping to bring forward and talk about through Hope on the Horizon are, are vital to all of that. But back to the question: Have you are you seeing a resistance, or is this uh, or, or not? And this this opportunity. That the tour presents will uh,
1: only help people as they move forward. Yeah, 100%. I, I think volunteers, that that's definitely going to be a theme moving forward. Uh, we've already, you know, we've heard from our members, and that is definitely an area of challenge. Uh, I'm not sure if people, you know, with, during the pandemic, obviously a lot of people were, uh, you know, didn't want to go out and volunteer for numerous things. I mean, we had a number of games that were postponed, you know, major games that were postponed, and a lot of volunteers that signed up for that, they didn't come back. And I think the theme is uh, it's similar across the board in terms of a lot of our associations. They've lost volunteers. There's not a lot of have returned, no doubt about it. But I think volunteers—it's always been a challenge, and none of our none of our sporting activities can happen without volunteers. Uh, and as you know, we got the 2025 Canada Games yeah. coming. Uh, you know, we're going to need 5,000 volunteers f- for that event. So, uh, volunteers and recruiting, retention of volunteers—that's definitely going to be a theme moving forward. And hopefully, and, and you know, people get scared of some of these things, some of these challenges that we're facing, and some of these new ways, new new ch- um, you know things that are happening in sports. They get they get scared because they don't have the, you know organizations the tools. exactly. They you know they're they're spending their time. A lot of these groups are run by volunteers. You know some if they're lucky they have one staff person that are that are running the organization. They can barely get the day to day operations done. Forget trying to uh, you know understand all these new uh, challenges in in the sports system and new things that are, are cropping up and developing policies around it. So you know that's really what we're we're hoping to uh, establish with this and, and and let people know that there is hope and the whole premise behind the hope tour, that, you know what, there's support out there for them to kind of uh, navigate through this. And, and I can tell you, if it helps the listeners, having
0: just done last fall some of the Hockey Canada courses, which are part and parcel of of courses that CCES and sport law have contributed to on diversity, on inclusion, on understanding values-based approach in the modern era. They're they're simplified, they're um, responsible, and they're so helpful. Uh, So I would encourage people to go uh, to the summit, particularly if they are welcome to go to the summit. So how can you participate in the summit?
1: Yeah, so we're we're tying in our 50th, so we're going to be doing a meet and greet on the Friday night, April 28th. So that's going to be, we're inviting anybody and everybody that wants to come, you know, uh, it's going to be two part, you know, one, a bit of a social, so people can kind of come and celebrate and talk about the last 50 years in sport. But then we're also going to have, um, you know, kind of a a little informal, you know, uh, discussion with uh, Steve and Dina and just talk about, you know, take questions, you know, people have uh, want to address some, some, some things there Uh, just, you know, informal meet and greet. And and that's kind of help us, celebrate the 50 as well. And then we're going to do a full day on Saturday the 29th uh, with uh, with some of our presenters and a full day uh, summit during during Saturday. And then of course same weekend we're doing our annual awards presentation, our mm-hmm. provincial annual awards presentation. So it's a it's definitely a full uh, full weekend for sure.
0: Uh, before I let you go, just want to get a comment if you're up for it on one of the news stories last night uh, that CBC was reporting on the state of the aqua arena uh, and a broader question than the aqua arena how is the infrastructure looking as we're heading into 2025? Is it on track? Are we going to have everything ready? And, and what, what, what will be the benefit to the broader sport community after the games are over?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're lucky, you know, in terms of our summer sport facilities. I think, you know, a lot of our facilities, from what I understand, you know, uh, needed, needed just, you know, some few minor upgrades. Obviously, that green was the bigger piece, and, and of course, the track is, is, is the big piece as well. So, so we were lucky in that regard. So, no, from what I can tell, you know, uh, everything seems to be on schedule. Uh, and there's always challenges, of course, yeah, as we know, with uh, construction of new uh, facilities uh, and major upgrades. But, you know, uh, with the new track coming, that's definitely going to provide a lot of opportunities especially with the turf infield that's going to be there with it. So that definitely uh, will provide some opportunities for, you know, spaces at a premium. And <laughs> I mean, there's, you know, we could double our facilities and still probably uh, not have enough uh, time, but uh, any new facilities and upgrades of facilities, because again, you know, the Akron has been there since 77. So now with these upgrades, it'll continue to be there and uh, provide much needed uh, support for, for some of those sports that would use that, uh, that facility. All right. Leave it there. Appreciate the call. Good luck with the summit congratulations on,
0: uh, on 50 years it's an impressive achievement and uh, keep uh, pushing sport as a positive contributor to our society we need more of that thank you troy absolutely thank you Tim. take care okay All right, that was Troy Croft, the Executive Director of Sport Newfoundland. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we've got Jim Dinn, the leader of the NDP, and Sheila Beckett on as well to talk about a couple of different things. Back with you shortly. Welcome back to Open Line. Uh, Tim Powers here. Last 44, well, not even 45, 41 minutes of the show. And to join us now, we've got the new permanent leader, once interim leader of uh, the Newfoundland and Labrador NDP, Jim Dinn. Jim, how are
7: you? Thank you for having me on, Tim. Not, not too bad. How are you doing yourself?
0: I, I'm good. I, I'm glad to have you on. You had a bit of a busy week. You had Mr. Singh here uh, earlier in the week, and you got affirmed, confirmed. I wanted to talk to you. I mean, the obvious question, Jim. Let me start with the obvious. Um, what do you do now in terms of building the party, the party's presence? As we're, you're, 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 we're still a bit away, obviously, from a, a provincial election here. Uh, what are the plans you can tell about tell us about going forward?
7: I would uh, I would have to say, you know, with, uh, with, with the three of us in the House of Assembly, Jordan uh, Brown from uh, Lab, Lab West, uh, Lee Levins, uh, Torring Gap Mountains, and myself uh, on the uh, St. John's East, we're sort of making up that NDP triad. I think we've been, as a team, we've been doing um, pretty good work in holding government to account and uh, showing an alternate way of doing things. I think for the most part we've started to attract uh, people are paying attention people are interested in being part of this uh, I, I can tell you that even in, uh, in involvement in the party uh, that there there's a renewed interest and uh, a renewed sense of energy and purpose going forward I, it comes down to after this is looking at uh, uh, having candidates now starting that r- rather than wait I guess until an election is called but start that process uh, looking at uh, what who's out there that would be interested in, in uh, uh, coming putting their name on the ballot. And not only that, but people who would uh, uh, would be uh, interested, in, who may not be interested in being part, uh, uh, being uh, in that front person, so to speak, but who would be willing to look uh, to donate, to be willing to work uh, behind the scenes on, uh, on the ex- and district associations, maybe on campaign teams. I think for the most part, that's where we've got to go. The other part for me is I, I, th- um, I would say that our message is uh, uh, resonating with uh, more than just the people of our um, within the party, but uh, when it comes when it comes to things like how do we make life affordable? How about uh, t- dealing with the issues of ho- homelessness and housing, uh, or even such things as dental care? Mm-hmm. Uh, that that that's uh, those are the uh, things that people are starting to realize. If if we want a healthy society, if we wanna if we want to balance budgets in the long run, we've got to look after those uh, those things.
0: Hi, this is not an NDP challenge. It's a, a political. Party challenge uh, of all political parties, but I imagine it, it's more challenging when you're you're sitting third in the in the House of uh, Assembly, and that is how do you? This is a tough time to get engage to get people engaged, Jim. They can be active and concerned about issues, but as I was just talking to Troy a few moments, who so getting people to volunteer, getting them to come forward, uh, is that a challenge, and how do you overcome that?
7: You know, and that's an interesting question, Tim, because i would say in any organization i've been involved with uh... over the last and not just this year uh... but i'm trying to think about how far back it was there seems to be uh... there's a, a less of a I guess, a uh, taste for becoming involved with a, an organized structure, whether mm-hmm. it's uh, a, a, a community group. And I don't know if that, or um, another not-for-profit, I don't know if that's to do with if people are afraid of, okay, if I sign on, what other duties am uh, am I going to uh, be taken on? It's sort of like scope creep. or um, yeah. And people live busy li- busier lives, too. When I look at families with children, uh, their lives are already, uh, sometimes if they've got them scheduled into different events. At, at the time becomes... Uh, they're already involved in their children's lives and their own children's. The organizations, whether it's hockey, dance, singing, whatever. Um, but it is a tough time. But I, I think the question I um, I have to look at too, and what we'll ask is: if you want change, mm-hmm. what uh, and and uh, what what are you prepared to do? Um, to make that change I've, I used to say to my teachers when I was with the NLTA mm-hmm. look it's one thing for me as the president to speak it's one thing for me as leader of the NDP to speak but it's more important that when there are voices out there that who uh, that agree with the, that point of view that they uh, they amplify the message and uh, that's where the change begins I think too, many of us uh, can be pretty complacent about um, uh, about the way, uh, way thing way decisions are made in Maybe leave it to people, uh, others to do it. But I think we do that at our own peril. So it's important to be involved. Important to have that say and shape where. Well, not in, in terms of the NDP, but where do we, as 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 a party, go? What are the issues that we're going to be speaking on, um, rather than waiting wait for a decision to be made and then be upset about uh, how it was made? I think you no. Know? So to me, that's the discussion we've got to have.
0: Yeah, it, it's 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 fascinating. Everybody, as you rightly point out, challenged by this, trying to motivate people, but you can only make change if you more often tend to participate uh, than, uh, than simply voicing your concerns, although that's equally important. Last question I have for you because uh, t- time is tight. Um, you have uh, spoken a lot about healthcare uh, throughout your yep. time as, as leader of the NDP. Uh, I think uh, if I read my notes correctly, you're, you're contemplating or coming forward potentially with a private members bill here in, yep. in the Newfoundland legislature. Tell us about that.
7: Well, actually, we had that uh, that was debated last night or uh, uh, yesterday afternoon, I should say. Uh, disappointment, I have to say, because uh, the, uh, the the uh, rest of the House voted uh, to, uh, and I should explain what the PMR was about, uh, saying no to private, privatization and building up, focusing on investing in our public health care system. Uh, and that was defeated. Uh, that's That is... Pretty sad. Uh, I know that some of them said, uh, you know, the the argument <laughs> that some brought up we were talking about getting rid of doctors' offices. And now they know better than this. But what we we, what we were concerned with here is uh, certainly the, the the we're already uh, uh, the privatisation and the cost to us already, such as the. The traveling nurses the agencies uh, that have like a hundred million dollars have gone to outside agencies that are based in Halifax, Toronto, Ottawa to hire i would assume poached nurses from our from our uh, public health care system and then to put turn them back and work in the public uh, health care system All, uh, sort of drain the resources that are there we're talking about the uh, or, uh, organizations like Medicuro foME or our private ambulance services we 've seen how that that's affected some communities so what we were trying to say is we need to start investing in in our hospitals in our uh, in terms of the the staffing there in our long term care facilities make sure that there's a long term plan and that was defeated uh, and that that speaks volumes tim it, it's this point not only that but that uh, when they looked at they uh, they ended the debate early uh because they weren't willing to put people up to speak to it uh that that speaks volumes about the, uh about I'm sorry about the That's the great. values there but we'll continue on we will uh we will be there pushing towards uh, uh you know uh, bolstering and building up and investing in our private in our public system and making sure that no one, that everyone has access, you, me, and it's not based on an ability to pay or it's not based on, the, uh, on, the, on, um, on profit. It's got to be about looking after the, uh, the, the public good and our, our, our health needs. Simple as that.
0: All right. Well, I'd love to have a t- chat with you at another time about what's private and what's not and what that means because to- cause it, it's a very it, it's a loaded discussion and it's an important one to have, but we'll leave it for today. Good luck to you, Jim Dim. Thanks for joining us.
7: Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Take care. Uh, All right. Now we're going to go to Sheila, uh, Sheila Beckett, who's been waiting patiently. Uh, My note here says, Sheila, that you taught at the School for the Deaf for for 28 years. Um, Assume you want to speak to some of the experience of, of the Churchills. Is that right? Yes. Go ahead, please.
16: Uh, well i was I went there around sixty five okay. and at that time, well, I had an education degree and I had been teaching three years in a regular school and uh, then um, when when we uh, started there, we had to teach one year we had to teach deaf children without any training. So we uh, we put that in, and then they sent us away for three years to Clark School for the Deaf, which was associated with Smith College Mm -hmm. in Northampton, Massachusetts. And we trained there for three years and for three summers. And uh, so anyway, but you know, none of what we did was sign language at all. But that that was an oral school. The children were taught to speak, but now we had no trouble. Uh, the two, the first two principals, uh, principal and vice principal, man and wife, who came to our school, they were both trained in the oral method. So everything was kind of on speech, reading, and that. But we did pick up because the kids had been in Amherst before that, and they were signing anyway. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a matter of that. But when we started, now I was. I was in the in the junior department, uh, right from the preschool. In fact, I started the preschool uh, for deaf children, deaf babies, and we had a program there. Uh, I don't think most people know they knew there was a school for the deaf, but they never knew what went on in there. And we had a perfect school. We had everything that they needed right from the beginning of school till they graduated, and we had all the services that they needed to with guidance and everything everything, and you could be in anything, any outside activities you were in, and the kids were just, you know, uh, integrated into everything with hearing kids, too. But now the thing that bothers me with, um, I've been following the Churchill one because at the time I had retired, and actually your mom and I were in the same class.
0: Oh, really? Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go see her after I'm done here. I'll tell her <laughs> that.
16: Well, she went away to school after, yeah, yep. around grade six. But up to then we were close friends, right? And I used to play jacks at her house. At <laughs> oh, she'll
0: like that. I'll tell her that. <laughs>
16: Anyway, um, so um, where was I now? Lost my train of thought.
0: Uh, you, you were you were going in the schools, and you were you, anyway. Go ahead.
16: Yeah. No, I had to, I started the preschool. with started, the uh, yeah. with the babies and that, and of course, when I started preschool, I only had them half day. So then. Sometimes I did itinerant work of a hearing child who uh, heard of hearing child was in a school and needed help, so I did some of them for the five or six years in the afternoon in the afternoons but uh, the the program we had for the thing was based on um, it was um, it was a home centered program and it was uh, focused was on the role of the family in the education of the child and in doing speech and language and uh, it's amazing how quickly these children pick up, but it's it's like you can integrate it you can have a teacher who teaches anybody and fit in and but it's harder to take a child who's Uh, on his own in a school. Now where we were, we Mm -hmm. had classes of about eight children. Now I wouldn't have as many in preschool because they would have only been two and a half to five-year-olds, right? Or to four. When they were five, they started regularly. But uh, we had uh, had constant contact with them and uh, all the teachers were trained. And then once we got trained, like the five teachers in the elementary, we kept the kids for two years. So I'd have them for two years, then my next my friend next door to me, she'd have them for two years, and then they'd have for about five years, which would be ten years, those kids would have all oral and the same type of teaching, which was a really good program in our group. And when the school, when I left the school, when I retired, well, I uh, kind of uh, stopped teaching when my son came okay. along, and uh, then I ended up, I've been teaching now from time to time in uh, in at the Waterford and down at the Janeway in psychiatry and not and sometimes I've, I've even when I went to the Janeway I even discovered that there was a child who was really deaf Yeah. but we thought she had elective mutism and she wanted to write everything to you and then I figured out when I went to rounds one day that someone said she couldn't read when she got to such and such a grade and that wasn't it at all she just couldn't hear so you know? she
0: Sheila we got about a minute left and um, I it wanted to. To the Churchills, just to, to them for a second. Well, I,
16: I think what I would be concerned okay. about now is what are they going to do now?
0: Mm-hmm. We
16: often get these reports, the stuff gets done, but they don't ever make that, you know, go right to the heart of what's needed. Now, that child, to me, needs to be taught in a place where he's getting five hours a day of a teacher who is a teacher of the deaf. Mm-hmm. And just because you can sign doesn't mean you, you can teach a yeah. child. And there's a big difference. And, you know, if the signs were just the thing, but I can sign to make myself understood to somebody else. But I do signed English, and I sign and talk at the same time, which makes it slower than what you see on TV and those places. Because what they're doing is just transporting the concept. Okay. And they're using words, and it's not always in good English, you know. It's not that it's bad English. Yeah. But it's you're not using as much of it you know like instead of saying what is your name they say name what you know uh,
0: okay the
16: and the same way and, and then and a and uh, English, uh, the ASL also has uh, like French it does it puts the adjective after the noun okay. so like if you say "I uh, uh, your shoes it be your shoes black not your black shoes and stuff like that so really but that I find with younger children they stress we stressed mostly sign language and, and not sign language but uh sign uh, um speech reading and uh, and watching your face and making sure that you know you knew what language was all about. And that has to come first before okay. they start. And then they'll sign. They'll pick up the signs amongst themselves. Okay. And I mean, ASL is always used uh, amongst deaf adults, definitely, you know. And I probably would be lost in a conversation <laughs> trying to keep up with them in the ASL. But uh, well, if, they just, if they just sign it as the way they're saying it, I'll understand it, right?
0: <laughs> well, thank you for all this information. it's It's really helpful, and I'm sure helpful to the Churchills as well, and uh, great to connect with you. I'll be seeing my moment about half an hour, so I'll tell her we spoke on, on Open Line, and, and thank you for your call today.
16: Well, you know, Tim, we also have the school building there. I don't see any reason why class
0: Can't be used, church. yeah.
16: Couldn't be used there right away because that was built for us. For built, perfect build. school with a gym, a swimming pool, everything that you need. No swimming pool. That we used to use the one down at Little Dale. Oh,
0: I I remember having yeah. a friend down there. We had other
16: kind to... of thing: industrial arts yeah. and, and and cooking, and we had a cafeteria and even apartment for kids to learn how to live on their own.
0: Yeah, it so was very it was very good. well well equipped school as I recall. It
16: was. It was perfect.
0: Right? All right, got to leave it there, Sheila. Thank you very yeah. much.
16: Nice talking, Dean. Say hi to
0: your mom. I will. Take care. Bye. All right. Very helpful conversation with Sheila. We're way behind here. Better throw to news. And then we'll be back with you, Janet, here on VOCM's Open Line. Nutrition, exercise,
3: keeping the cold at
0: bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Well, the lines are still lighting up. We've got uh, 18, 19 minutes, so I'm going to talk less and get the callers on. going to go right now to Janet, who is on line one and wants to talk about the city destroying animals, according to my note here. Janet, uh, tell us about that.
17: Well, good morning, Tim.
0: Good morning. I am okay, thank you. And you?
17: Well, I'm not good, Tim.
0: (laughs) Tell me why, Janet. Tell me why. I
17: got to tell you, I think I'm having some kind of a stroke.
0: Well, that's not uh, good.
17: Well, no, no. And listen, I apologize right off the bat because when I'm nervous, uh, I, I, I turn to comedy. It's I can't help it. I'm huge at funerals. Listen, Tim, yesterday... Yesterday, I hear, so here, I live behind Bowering Park, okay. okay? So I'm in Babel's Road. I've got Columbus Highway directly behind me, and I've got the road to the Ghouls in front of me. So, you know, I'm literally watching life go by in two different directions. So, but I have no neighbors in the back. So yesterday, I, I you know, I'm putting my dog out. And I put the dog out, and then I look up, and there's a the moose.
0: Oh, really?
17: In, in the, yeah, like he's standing next to the rhododendron. Okay. And I won't tell you what I said. Uh,
0: I can only I, imagine.
17: I, well, I attempted, <laughs> I attempted at 58 to do a beeline back to the house, but of course I got stuck in like four feet of melting snow. So my beeline was, you know, more of a slow crawl. Meanwhile, I'm screaming at the top of my lungs, "Get away from the moose!" So I come into the house. They thinking, oh, my God, and what do I do? With a knee-jerk reaction. I need help. I called 911. You did Which, not. <laughs> uh, I did. I did, and I know, I know. What can I say? So I call 911, and, you know, hello, 911, and I said, hi, I don't know if I should call you, but there's a moose in the backyard, and I live between two main roads, and I don't know if the moose is going to jump and get on one of these roads and hurt someone. I don't know what to do. So she said, okay, uh, what's your address? I gave her the address. What's your name? What's your phone number? I gave her all this, and she said, okay, let me connect you to the, to the people, to the right person. So I'm sitting there waiting, and I'm watching out, the, and the other person comes on the line. I tell the story. They say, okay, we're sending someone over. So I spend the entire day, you know, locked in the house, terrified to let the dogs out. No one comes. This morning, Tim, this morning, I'm down in the shed. I live in the shed. I'm down in the shed drinking coffee, listening to you. Okay? You're just about to come on. I'm looking forward to that because...
0: Oh, now you're pandering. Me and the moose. Uh, Okay, uh, keep going.
17: Well, I'm I'm milking as many of those 18 minutes as I can (laughs) get. Any. Anyway, so... Anyway, I look out the window. And guess who's back? The moose. The moose. This time the moose is laying down. (laughs) And I'm like, that doesn't look Right. So, what am I going to do now? So, I run back to the house and I remember my son who had said to me yesterday, "What do you call a nine one one Call three one one So I call three one one and I get this person on the line who immediately says, "Oh, yes, there was apparently a moose hit just down the road from you yesterday." Oh, my. And I'm like, "Oh no." So they send someone over right away. The next thing you know, Tim, I've got, there's two or three trucks in the driveway. There's people there with earmuffs on and this huge gun. And I'm like, I was trying
0: to give the thing bacon.
17: Because I'm I'm thinking, can they save this guy?
0: Janet, you could have made a ton of money if you had to haul the gun out first, but then you would have been in (laughs) violation of all number of laws. Listen, No. Tim,
17: I would never hurt anyone else, I mean, I, I, or an animal. I can't. I mean, I'm... I
0: get you on that.
17: Anyway, besides that, it was huge. So I'm having a fit. So all these people are there, and I'm thinking, okay, well, this is great, Janet, you've just saved a life. <laughs> and I felt really good about myself for about two minutes when the guy says, looks at me, and I look at him, and, you know, I'm half crying, and this other conservation officer, she's all choked up. And it's only a baby, Tim. And, and he said, well, do you mind if I do away with it? Like, do I mind if you do away with it? Do I mind if you do it. I, I don't understand. Can we do anything? He said, no, we can't because, you know, it's injured. So basically, Tim, my day started with, you know, this guy coming down there with his huge gun and a silencer, and he's wandering around the yard, and, you know, they shoot this poor little baby animal. So, the, you know, my problem is this. They were upset. Yeah. Because when I had reported this moose the day before
0: Yeah, it was injured and they could have maybe saved the animal.
17: Absolutely. So they were upset about that. I was upset about that. I'm wondering how many other calls have they missed?
13: Yeah.
17: You know, which is terrible. And I'm telling you right now, I'm gonna have to listen to a lot of Tom Osborne speaking just to be able to
0: sleep tonight.
17: (laughs) <laughs> so stressed out well right but now. Janet
0: you gotta sell tickets to your back garden I mean it sounds like you got the most fun going on in the city moose oh, and 911 calls I mean gosh it's Tim, a Tim you have no idea uh, it's a fun no fun idea, plaza but I'm
17: telling you I haven't been this shaken up since the brutal loot jacking I suffered in October, Halloween, 1975.
0: Uh, well, we we don't want to go down. We I don't want to trigger more PTSD for you. But uh, <laughs> it, 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 teasing to joking, aside, we do have yeah. to go in about a minute. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's a very fair point you made. Like if if it's hard, it's hard to imagine, particularly given you saw the moose twice, and yep. the moose eventually met its demise in your back garden. You'll have to put up a little moose memorial there. But how Are somebody you know? else didn't. How, anyway. I, I, now, it,
17: what irritates me about this, actually, in all seriousness, is that I did report this but someone on the other end didn't divert K- the call correctly, yeah. right? Yeah. So this poor animal probably suffered all night and then had, could have been saved, who knows, right? So that's the thing that really irritated me about it. And I know that the conservation officers that came out so quickly, they were really upset that they had to do this because they could have, you know, perhaps avoided it if the report I'd made had been diverted correctly, right? But
0: Yeah, that's, but no, this, that's this, a valid point, but I think there's another message in all this, Janet, to the stray animals that are out there listening today, if you have the line on the shed, go to Janet. she will get bacon. <laughs> you won't turn on, into bacon. I appreci- you, appreciate him? your... They're
13: not
17: going to go to my <laughs> house because they're going to get shot. I can't even get the dog to go out now. She's been looking at me funny since... Well, you do passed. have the
0: blem- that blemish on your record, but I'm Ooh. sure they'll look past it if they get the bacon. Anyway, gotta go, Janet. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it.
17: Well, listen, Tim, it was a real pleasure talking to you. The last time we talked, I shared my story about how I used to go door-to-door. Yes. (laughs) mysteries and uh, i gotta tell you i'm still doing it because it's a mystery to me why they didn't take this call seriously anyway take care nice to hear you
0: okay take care bye 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 all right i do not think uh with great respect to elizabeth and wayne there is a caller out there in the next 12 minutes who can top that story though your calls are important too let's see what we got next time for our last break here on open line uh, all right, this will be like speed dating today, though no less important. Even though your time may be short, Elizabeth, you're up first. You got about three minutes or so, so I can get Wayne in. Sorry to keep it a little tighter, but go ahead, Elizabeth. Okay, thank you. You're welcome.
18: Uh, I'm kind of about neighbors and needs, right? Okay. Well, my son now he's really sick. He got a bad hurt, and he called. He messaged in to get a dinner, and they blocked him.
0: Oh, really? Why?
18: Yeah, I do not know. And he is really sick. And this is his mom, Colin, right? Okay. Yeah. So I'm so disappointed about it, right?
0: So who blocked him from going in where, just to be clear?
18: Uh, um, Courtney Barber is her name.
0: And she blocked him from going in where?
18: Uh, Neighbors in need. I don't know nothing about it, right? But uh, he knows more about it than I do, right? Okay. But anyway, she she blocked him and he called back. And like I said, we had two deaths in the family, right? Yes. And and now we got two more sick. So, you know, that's really upsetting me.
0: And so how did your son react to all of that?
18: Oh, he's, I don't know. He's really, really, really depressed.
0: And what is he going to do then, do you think?
18: Oh well, that's all he can do. Was do it out, I guess, because uh, he missed them and she blacked them.
0: Oh my! Well, he's welcome to call if he wants to provide some more information. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Elizabeth?
18: No, that's it. I just want to let you know what she done, right?
0: Okay. Well, thank you for letting us know. I appreciate that. Okay. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Yeah, bye. Uh, okay, we're gonna go to thank you, Elizabeth. We're gonna go to Wayne and then Pauline. I'll get you in to throw your bouquet, Wayne. You are on open line. How are you this morning?
19: Oh, not bad, sir.
0: And you want to talk about Carter Churchill? Go ahead.
19: Yes, thanks for taking my call. And uh, I like your preamble this morning. You hit now. All right? I'm there with every issue. Oh, thank you. But, yeah, but uh, I listen. But I've been listening, paying attention to this Churchill case since I retired five or six years ago. And I'm going for five or six years, and I've listened to it. I've been tempted to call on several occasions out of total frustration, total pissed off, so disappointed with the system, so whatever. But I was moved this morning by that dick from the superintendent that almost tried to brush it under the table again this morning. On, on the early morning show. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Uh, With Jerry uh, Lynn, yeah. He, he was interviewed yeah, by Jerry Lynn, yeah.
19: Lack of resources, mind you. Lack of resources. Yeah, they got no resources. That kid sat there. That kid, poor.
0: 12 poor, now, yeah, for, poor, for, four, for, for four, four years. Four years, five years.
19: Yeah. Tim, they said he was just there. <laughs> That's how they summed it up. Man, he was just there for four or five years, and those Churchill family, they phoned in the open line, Morning after morning and at all kinds of uh, protests gone in and it took a court case yeah. and one hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars Well, that's what they were awarded after. But they had to pay. That's what it took to settle it, to get a kid in the classroom, character in the classroom for four or five years just sitting there. Nobody, no education. And then this missus tried to say that he's not capable of reading, and he's gone on to grade six, that he was doing just fine, just fine. And this other dick this morning... Yeah,
0: well, let's not use, uh, I I know what you mean, but I I know you're frustrated, let's not be swearing, please.
19: Uh, that, well,
0: yeah, I know, I know, but I you that you word people will find words, offensive. That, anyway, go ahead, Wayne. You have every reason to be angry. Let's just stay to above the my fray.
19: Frustration out, because I was moved this morning when he said that, yeah. and I was moved, moved to anger. Yeah, I get it. And, and and just just sends a message to me. I mean, if they'll do that to a to a child like Carter. Yeah. What 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 are they capable of doing to people like myself and yeah. anybody else? If if they'll do that, it scares me. It's a scary thought. What's going on around bureaucracy and government these days? It's, it's getting scary.
0: Well, it's and scary. It's- what's really scary about it, as as you are rightly pointing out, is you're just dehumanizing Carter, right? And if you're, you know, you don't have to be a parent, but if you're a parent listening to this, and regardless of the the uh, the, the deafness uh, that uh, that Carter is afflicted with. Just take that out of the picture and put your own child in that circumstance where for whatever reason your child isn't getting the attention that he or she deserves is just being uh, ignored and passed through. What kind of surface are you doing and what are you doing to the mental health and well being of the child. I don't know who can answer that question. Somebody should, and somebody, Mr.
19: Powers, should be held accountable. All the teachers, all the principals, all the superintendents, all the school boards, all the bureaucratic crowd, especially the politicians, I heard that the premier sat on his porch for an hour, and he listened to his concerns, and what was done about it? Absolutely nothing. Took a court case. Took a court case to do it. And they wouldn't do that for, for Carter? They, they did yeah. nothing and no accountability, Mr. Power, no accountability. These politicians and these bureaucrats go around doing what they like and no accountability whatsoever. We yeah, it
0: is them. strange. I know I got to let you go after this, but I would just say this way. And it is strange that um, uh, and maybe there has been and we don't know about it, but there hasn't been more, uh, as you say, accountability meted out in terms of. Saying you know this group was responsible and that was why I'm not saying people you know should be fired just for the sake of it, but you do have to yes, hold. They
19: should all kinds of them should be fired. Well, but you, you
0: you do have to hold people to account. I agree with you on that. Oh,
19: exactly. Our... and what else? How, how else can you do it in a situation like yeah. that? Letting them sit there, sit there. He was just there, yeah. Mr.
0: Yeah. Howell. They ignored him. It by four, the sen-
19: four yeah. years and, yeah. and 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 his father Todd was on.
0: I got it, Wayne. I i got to let you go because i got to get one more quick call in. I thank you for your call, and, I, you know, your anger is totally merited, as is everybody's on this issue. Thank you for calling.
19: If there's another issue. The autism, I'm already going to handle that one now.
0: Yeah, I know. Just uh, something
19: else to think about. Uh, okay, the, thank you for listening to my remarks,
0: sir. It was it was well worth it. Thank you, Wayne. Take care. Have a nice weekend. All right, last call of the day. Pauline, you got about a minute to deliver your bouquet. Fire away.
10: No problem, sir. I, I'd like to thank the OCM and throw a bouquet to Patty for helping my daughter. She has an autistic, verbally autistic, excuse me, non-verbally autistic child, okay. And she was her back was against the wall, and she couldn't get any help. So she called in and asked Patty to if he could go through some things to help her get help from other people because she wasn't getting anything. So Patty helped her, and you guys at the OCM were very grateful. Thank you a lot.
0: Well, thank you very much, and thank you for calling. No problem. Uh, and that was Pauline. And look full credit to Patty and Dave and the people who do this every day. They, they they don't just take calls here. They stand up for people and they make an effort to make a difference, meaningful difference in people's lives. So when I get the chance to sit in here, even you know for a day or two, it's, it's a real honor. And Dave, Patty, Greg, all the people that work here at VOCM, they do fine work, even though they've tried to freeze me to death today. As I see Greg Smith, the boss, come in, you know, he had to give me a sweater, he had to give me a hat. I got lots of free clothes. But I I can feel my complaint coming forward, human rights complaint on poor working conditions. Teasing, of course. It's great to work here at VOCM. It's great to be here. I hope everybody has a really good Easter weekend and celebrate uh, and acknowledge all the things we have to celebrate, family, friends. Patty will be back here on Monday. Thank you again to my good friend Dave Williams. And for now, that's VOCM's Open Line.